Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Primal Podcast. Today, we have a highly requested return guest to the show, Mr. Podrick Danaher. Myself and Podrick did an episode together about seven months ago, and we mainly focused on the areas of trauma and children. Podrick is a mental health occupational therapist. He's a positive psychology coach and a trauma specialist. And by very popular demand, I asked Podrick to come back up to do another episode. I am not lying when I say the first episode that I did with Podrick was probably one of the most well-received episodes that I've ever done. And the feedback from people in person, online, who listened to the episode and garnered some value for both themselves and the lives of their friends and family was just outrageous. It was really, really insane. The response blew me away and blew Podrick away. So he's back for round two. And what you can expect from this episode is a conversation in a similar vein, except this time more focused on adults, on us people pretending to be grown-ups. We do touch a little bit on the topic of trauma, but wanted to make sure that it wasn't uh, a buzzwordy podcast that just delved into the, the, the whole traumatic side and trauma buzzword side of things. And um, so in this episode, we had a conversation about the maladaptive behaviors that we can see as adults who suffer with our own sense of self and identity. And Podrick gives us a breakdown of some of the tools and techniques that we can use to try and live better, more fulfilled lives. Now, that's putting it in a nutshell. It's a two-hour conversation that goes off on broad tangents covering things like Andrew Tate, Jordan Peterson, Huberman, uh, masculinity, identity, and much, much more. So another fantastic episode, and I'm sure the response from this one is going to be, if not as good, then even better than the original episode. I'm so grateful for Padre for taking the time out of his busy schedule to come up and speak to me again. And I not only hope, but I know you're going to enjoy this episode. So sit back, relax, and uh, enjoy the show. Welcome to our shared journey to find the answers to questions about health, wellness, nutrition, performance, life, and success, and to craft the most resilient, hardy, and happy humans you've ever seen. Welcome to the Primal Podcast. Patrick Danaher, welcome back to the show. Oh, Dan, how are you, sir? By popular demand. <laughs> by popular demand. Thanks, I was telling you before, like the, the, the episode that we did, um, I'm sure most people listening to this now have listened to that episode. It did fantastically well, but not only did it do fantastically well, the feedback and the comments that I got were amazing. That's and great. not only that, I really, really enjoyed the conversation ah, too. Likewise. So. And just to remind people, that was your first ever podcast. It was indeed. It was indeed. No, it was great. It was a really enjoyable experience for me and kind of gave me the taste of doing more and getting that information out. So yeah. thanks for that. No, and, and thanks. Thank you. Um, I'm going to give you 30 seconds on the clock here because you, you, you very kindly you kind of delved into your background, your story in the first episode. So mm -hmm. if you haven't heard Padraig's story, it's there. It's, mm -hmm. it's available on, on other platforms. But 30 second elevator pitch. Who are you? What's your name <laughs> and where'd you come from? As Silla Black used to say. <laughs> so my name is Padraig. I'm an occupational therapist. I have my own practice in Cork uh, as the OT coach. I work with teenagers and adults who have difficulties with their mental health. Um, I work specifically with complex trauma, but also eating disorders, self-harm behavior, and any other difficulties that a young person might face. 23 seconds. Boom, next. <laughs> and this is good. You've actually cheated. I mean, you've done several podcasts since you've done my podcast last time. So my apologies. You've got the practice now. Um, okay, thank you very much for that. No um, worries. So that's, that, that, that's what you do and who you are and gives you a bit of context for people as to why we're going to talk about the things we're going to mm -hmm. talk about. The second point I will make is because we want to be very careful about this. Um, we are going to use the word trauma a lot mm -hmm. in this podcast, but this podcast is not about trauma. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening now and you're going to go, oh, the lads have already done over two hours on trauma. Yeah. They're going to do the same thing again. No. Uh, but it's important that we clarify and understand a few of these words. Uh, something I said to you when we were speaking over the last couple of days as well, 
this word is starting to become another one of those words, like holistic and all these words that kind of get sullied when they enter the, uh, and for good reason, they enter the mainstream purview, mm. but then they get slightly overused and misinterpreted sometimes, and they almost become a word that turns people away from yeah. potentially engaging with podcasts or content because mm. you're like, oh, another dude banging on about his trauma. Mm. Like two, 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 what's the, the, the song going around? Two white boys in a podcast. <laughs> I heard that. That's right. Talking good. about their trauma. <laughs> Um, that's that's not what this is going to be. No, but no. we are going to start off, and if you would kindly uh, facilitate me on this, to, to just to define a few kind of terms. Mm. The main one kind of being complex trauma. Mm. What is that, and uh, how does it relate to trauma? And you mentioned big T, little T, and uh, just terminology like that. I think yeah. is important. I suppose complex trauma would be a series of events that have happened, not just maybe a singular one. That would be the difference. Um, so if there was a number of events that happened, you would experience complex trauma, and that could be a lot of neglects, abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, they would be seen as experienced complex trauma, going to war, uh, witnessing something horrendous like a car accident, being in a car accident. Um, and then you have the small T and the big the big T. You'd hear that a lot. So some people don't pay as much attention to the small T. The small T might be having a mother that's an alcoholic. And you might think that's not that big of a deal, but there's a series of small T's that come with it. So small bits of trauma where they were disconnected, you were left alone, you were felt unloved, you didn't see them and you were put at risk of many other things, maybe dealing with hunger, those other issues where your needs weren't met. So a series of small T's can end up being uh, as serious as one serious incident. So I think it's it's good to understand that. And yes, trauma is all over the place at the moment and it does dilute the power of it, I feel. It's good to bring awareness to it. But when there's people speaking about traumatic experience or they've impacted by trauma or putting that foot forward all the time, it, it can devalue it a little bit. So just to be clear what trauma is, like trauma, a, a traumatic experience will sit with you for a long, long time after you've experienced it. So if people go through stress and they're in a stressful environment at work or they're in a stressful situation, a stressful relationship, and then they leave the relationship and they leave the work and they've left the traumatic or the stressful situation, that isn't trauma. Trauma is when it, you leave that environment, but your body is hypervigilant and still undergoing serious stress and that your response to similar situations or even sometimes safe situations are are not appropriate or not not aligned so that would be trauma i think it's just good to be clear on on that side and i don't want to as you said to hold focus on trauma but i think it will come up with a lot of the topics that we're we're speaking about mm, for sure yeah and um, one of the biggest takeaways i think from our last episode mm-hmm. last conversation together and i keep doing this with my fingers is how how like overwhelmed almost i was when you were describing something could happen to a child in, in, in our last conversation with most people about children we spoke about and the, it's not necessarily the thing but all of the other things then that are triggered by that thing and the constant triggering that was started off by the thing mm. that just starts to overlap and overlap and overlap and create ba- behaviours that create more triggers that shape your environment that Absolutely. then have an impact on you and I was like Jesus I, mean, I think I remember saying in that podcast like we've no fucking hope with with all of this mess yeah. um, but another thing that we want to um, lay down as a foundation for this conversation as well is the idea that yes, it's important to understand this and yes, maybe it's important to identify certain areas of your life that are triggering or traumatic or things that happen to you but also my my biggest thing is it's so important to to be able to live your life as well. Mm -hmm. So I think what I would love to be able to do in this episode is to 
discuss some of the strategies that we can use to, to do that, to live our life. I mentioned to you before, and I say this often on the podcast, I am just a normal bloke. I happen mm. to be in this environment where I meet many incredible people like yourself. Mm. Uh, so it's opened my eyes to a whole new world of health and wellness and performance mm. and connection and compassion. Mm. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm just some dude. And most of the people I grew up with are just guys and girls who are your average, whatever that means, person who don't have access to this information. If I can translate that somehow from the world of magic and mystery and as we were laughing, dancing around trees and our leopard skin trousers and throwing fairy dust in the air, if I can translate the value that lives there to, to, to the average bloke, to the Dan living in, in the normal world, I think that's our job done. So I think that's what we'll, we'll aim for today is that we, yeah. we've got to live our lives. Here's some stuff that doesn't involve you doing anything mm. that's outside your comfort zone but that can help you maybe start to unravel some of this mess I agree. and live a normal life. That'd be mm -hmm. fair enough. Yeah. And uh, and it's, it's it's I fully agree. And and I think the the earlier, and I, I know we're focused a lot on adults, but the earlier we can tackle that tra traumatic experience, the more we can work through it and it doesn't become part of our identity. <clears throat> you have to be very careful you don't fall in the rabbit hole of a, a survivor or some a victim. And that, that mentality will not serve you at all if that's like there's so much to people that are beautiful and we we need to identify that as like I'm an entrepreneur or I'm a I'm a I'm a dad or I'm a not I'm a survivor I'm like when we hold on to that and that comes to the forefront of how we introduce ourselves we've we've taken on that role so identity is a really important survival tool to come over that 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 wound and trauma actually is um, the Greek for wound. So, and I think it's, I like visualization of when I think of a traumatic experience, what's that like? And to visualize that you could have an open wound and it can be touched and you could be triggered by that. So how do we, what do we need to do to cover that wound, to support that wound, to, to make it become a scar where we don't actually feel it anymore and it can't be touched. And there's loads that we can do in our day to day to ensure that. And I think you, we, we, we touched on this previously, but for that average bloke who might have difficulty attending counselling or the idea of therapy is uh, they don't want to engage in it or they don't want to admit that they need it. What do they need to do? What information do they need? Because for me and my experience, they're the ones struggling the most and they're the ones that in a result have taken their own lives, have serious drug and alcohol addictions to soothe pain. And Gabber will always say, don't ask, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain. And all of that behavior is trying to soothe that. We're trying to soothe ourselves. We're trying to just get by. So we'll take it from our mobile phone use to not having to sit with ourselves. We spoke about that in the last. Um, anything to avoid sitting with ourselves and sitting with emotions will do it. So that could be mobile phone use, it can be porn, it can be alcohol, it can be drugs, it can be any negative behavior. We can replace a lot of them with positive ones and and ones that will actually be really beneficial to soothe our pain and meet our needs. <clears throat> and they're based around social connections. We spoke about that earlier, about men in general being notoriously terrible for that. And it's terrible for speaking out and saying, I need help, but also just reaching out and keeping those social connections alive and ones that aren't based around alcohol. Okay. Think are important. Okay, so let's put a pin in those two things then, identity and the tools mm -hmm. we can use because that, that's what we're going to aim Great. for. Um, we spoke a lot about young people and children in the last episode, mm -hmm. which is where your expertise, I suppose, yeah. lies and a lot of your experience lies. But with people who are older, 
Mm-hmm. What are some of the things? Because these are the things now that might resonate with people listening. And I believe this is a it's a spectrum, it's a scale. A mm-hmm. lot of us will deal with many of these things at certain levels. Maybe we're not all addicted to heroin in, 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 on the street, but we might have a problem with food, for example, an Absolutely. addiction there or something like that. So what are some of the more kind of prevalent and common things you're seeing now? And then maybe we'll discuss how the landscape is maybe shifting over the last 15, 20 years. So the prevalent maladaptive behavior or the prevalent things that you could do to... The maladaptive behavior. Malad- yeah, yeah. So I would see drug use I would see addictions with mobile phones um, a lot, and and to to just be a, like people say, but everyone looks at their phone. Like an, an addictive behavior is something that you can stop. That's stopping Compulsion, you. Isn't oh, it? absolutely, and yeah. that 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 you know you want to stop. That in turn, like when it comes to addiction, addiction is about uh, you're trying to soothe the pain, but that soothing behavior becomes the pain and it just becomes this loop that you can't get out of. So, i.e. the mobile phone use soothes that pain, but it makes you disconnected from people that you should be connecting and doing the things you should be doing. Alcohol, drugs, very, very similar. They just, they soothe the pain, but in turn they cause pain. So to soothe that pain, you continue using the behavior. So it becomes that loop. So drugs, alcohol, mobile phone use would be the, the ones of porn as well with a lot of young men. And I could go into a, a, a long rant around porn, just the, the aggression that they're witnessing at the moment and how that is uh, like getting very extreme and what they are, they're talking to me about. And it's just that, that rabbit hole that they're gone into and that disconnect from human connection and seeking a true a device. But when, rather than seeking what do I need to do to have a romantic connection, I'm getting those needs met done in my room by myself by looking at two other people aggressively having sex not actually making love but that's that could uh, can I ask you que- yeah. questions as we go here I'm going to really really interrupt you as we Please go through do. this section because there's stuff that pops into my head that I will forget I recently listened to a conversation and I can't, well, I'm not going to quote it because I can't remember exactly who it was but there was a proclaimed expert in studying human um, psychology and neuroanatomy yeah. and stuff like this talking about porn use and basically claiming that there were no real solid links being presented between porn use or abuse and uh, negative, like measurable negative outcomes in the brain. But my question is, and I, I have an issue sometimes with this re, this appeal to numbers all the time. I, mm. I'm a believer in science. Let me just say that right now before yeah. people start throwing shoes at the, at the phone. <laughs> uh, I'm a believer in science. I like science and I trust science. I trust the scientific process. But a lot of what I see is not the scientific process because it's basically saying unless we have categorically proven it, it doesn't exist. Mm. Which for me means, well, okay, does it... Uh, the vast majority of things about the world we don't know and haven't mm-hmm. tested and may never be able to test categorically doesn't mean they don't exist. So there's a weird line for me there. But to say something like that doesn't make sense to me when I can definitely sense and see a change in people when they struggle with behaviors like this. But my question for you is, you've boots on the ground. You are dealing mm-hmm. with people who who have a problem using porn, for example. Mm-hmm. Do you see a problem? Do you see a change in these people? Hugely. Okay. And and I think it's really important to question any 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 person who advocates, including myself, and and look at the literature that they're referencing because st- studies can shape a direction and it can be a study of three people. Yes. Like you can reference studies all day long. They, they don't have to be uh, peer-reviewed journal articles. They can just be a, a study of six people uh, that it, they, so that you can sway a study. And uh, so I think be really mindful when you're looking at something and they say it's referenced or there's a study. Yeah. Look at the study, question the study. Who funded the study? How have they guided it? So I think... Uh, I, I think it caught me because he was claiming that the cohort of evidence that we currently have i.e. all studies point this direction. That, that, um, I, I question that because for me, my day-to-day 
experience with a lot of young men. They're speaking about erectile dysfunctions. They're speaking about loneliness. They're speaking about being completely disconnected. They're speaking about their sexual interactions after watching a lot of porn being very poor. Um, and, and I'd hear that from females as well, what their expectations are, how and they're 17, 18 years of age preparing themselves. And they were like, what we have to do to meet the needs of young men who are watching aggressive porn it's not it, it, it mainstream has become quite aggressive so they're really disconnected so the romantic sex, sexual connection like kissing doesn't really isn't really involved in pornography it's which is madness to think that that the intimacy there's no intimacy it's it's not about intimacy anymore it's about sex it's about ejaculating it's about so i would see a lot of young men being very disconnected from what a relationship is and saying it advocating i'm so lonely and this is where i find my i get my needs met and i know this isn't serving me so I'm looking at evidence very clear in front of me of many young men advocating that this it's not serving them. So I, I would yeah. I would question that it's having no negative effect. I would okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little, little role here, right? Because mm. I, I agree with you by the way. So first of all, I agree with you to play slight devil's advocate to mm. that. If they can't categorically prove that there is a neurological effect on men from watching porn. Uh, you could put it down to something like the opposite of a healthy user bias, the unhealthy user bias. If someone is consumed in porn, they probably have a poor lifestyle, probably have a poor diet, probably don't train. Therefore, maybe their erectile dysfunction came from that. Maybe their lack of energy came from that. That's that's a possible claim, I suppose. Mm -hmm. However, I I don't I don't really subscribe to that model. Yeah. Um, and with with young men getting consumed by porn. There is an interesting concept, and I think maybe it was, I know it comes up a lot on, on like different podcasts. I think the last one I heard was, was Chris Williamson talking about this idea of it tends to be the story you tell yourself around the thing that you are doing. So again, I talk about intent sometimes. What mm -hmm. is your intent? So if the story you tell yourself around something like food or porn or phone use is very positive, you tend to have more positive outcomes. Okay. So could it be that maybe the porn is having an effect, but it's the story that men are telling themselves around the porn and the narrative that they create about relationships and romance and themselves and comparison and all of that kind of stuff is what's actually having the negative effect on them. At the end of the day, I don't really think it matters. So that's my, my devil's advocate thing gone. I, I do think there's an, a net negative to overconsumption of insert thing here. I, I think just like, because we, I'm an evidence-based practitioner. Yes. I love evidence. To think about the concept of what porn is, yeah. you're masturbating over two strangers having sex. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's quite unhealthy in oh, yeah, any yeah. shape or form. I like, I don't think we need to deep dive into needing to look at the neurological negative impact. I'm like, if you're seeking social connection without having to masturbate, uh, how lonely is that experience? So I think sometimes we need this evidence or what, what does it, I'm like open our eyes and I think it's it's obvious that it's not a behaviour and absolutely there's a lot of negative behaviours that we can engage in and we can reframe it as a positive one and maybe a learning experience of what, what sex is but I think in general if you're yeah. seeking we, we are here to for two reasons I believe to be authentically ourselves and to socially connect and I think that is a massive driver in disconnecting us from people. So for me, it's it's it, it, there's only negatives that can come from it. Anyone that I know that has reverted away from it, their lives have improved. And yeah. that's from my own clinical experience. Um, so that would be the evidence that I would see. But yeah, I... Here's my brow science approach to it as well, because I love the brow science, right? If you combine everything you've just said <clears> there with everything that I would feel is right, yeah. which is my brow science coming in, with the likes of people like Andrew Huberman, who would talk about a retraining of what you find sexually arousing. Mm. So there's some science there as well, which 
is not necessarily to say that it's directly causing health issues, but it's a reframing of what you find arousing, which from my perspective is not healthy as well, because now you're more aroused by watching rather than pursuing Absolutely. a partner or engaging in, in, in all of the things that would lead to a romantic encounter, like having social skills or becoming mm. a better person or becoming desirable yourself and actually Absolutely. competent and confident. For me, it's a complete, ne- ne- a complete net negative. Yeah. The same as everything else that you are completely addicted to or consumed by. So Absolutely. I think this is one thing. I don't think it is an evil thing, but I think it's a thing that is designed yeah. specifically to capture a drive yeah. and you take that drive and point it at porn and it's not driven at anything mm. else in your life so for me that's when my bro science goes if your man says to me that there's no science pointing to this I'm like okay but step step out of that world for one second because it's such an easy game to play to tell me that you're a scientist and I don't understand the science mm. I'm going to step right out of your world so now, mm. we're, now we're playing by world rules yeah. and say if I look at this as a, 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 as a, a net sum game it's, it's net negative yeah, because of all these different reasons yeah. and many of them you, you're never going to be able to prove or disprove absolutely so yeah. we have to trust Dan's bro science <laughs> on the Primal Podcast I'll trust it <laughs> it's very and it makes you know all of what you were saying it just makes perfect sense yeah. it may, like it, it just if we're if we're replacing any of our behaviour and it's pulling us away from human connection any opportunity like to get aroused sexually that our, that our step is to open our mobile phone and to put up our search engine rather than putting our hands on our partner or to feel the touch of a human being. But they're the steps that we are now getting aroused and preparing ourselves to ejaculate. That like it, for me it's it's we're just so disconnected and 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 it can be easier. And if you are lonely, these are strategies that can be used. Are they beneficial? I, I don't feel the air. And I, I, I yeah, I don't feel the air. And I would have listened to a little bit of talks if some people speak about it, whether it be TED Talks or some sex specialists as well. And they would have before advocated and there was one on Steve Bartlett and she would she would have expressed before I would have advocated that people sit in with their partner and watch porn and she's like, and and now seeing how things are going, maybe the evidence that she looked at, she's like, I, I wouldn't be recommending that this is where where I would be guiding couples down. So yeah. I think anything that will pull you away from human connection inherently will be negative. If we're replacing it, like because we're drawn towards being connected, we we mm. want to be connected, whatever that looks like. If you're an introvert, if, even young people who have autism would have difficulty in social situations. Inherently, they want to seek connection, like in whatever shape that looks like. So I think pull that away from somebody, and and only bad things can happen. Mm. And and I didn't intend this to be a, a porn focused episode, <laughs> but just just to, to, to make another point mm. on that because is a conversation I had recently with somebody about. Um, intimacy work mm-hmm. and these workshops and again something I'm not particularly familiar with at all but it was inter- an interesting concept for me these intimacy workshops where people were encouraged to explore their own mind and the fabric of their own mind when it comes to intimacy and connection with their partner um, and the vast majority of us tend to have absolutely no understanding of what that means mm. or how to ask for what we want in a relationship yeah. or how to actually connect with our partner. So if the advice is to use porn to bring a deeper connection, most of us are only doing that because it's way more difficult to generate an actual connection. So again, mm. it's pulling you further away Absolutely. for what could be a positive outcome for yeah. you and a partner. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the more you go into it, the deeper you go. I'm not suggesting everyone to go into intimacy workshops, but usually there is lower hanging or more uh, impactful and meaningful fruit than the quick fix dopamine. But it tends to be just a rule of thumb. And I think, like how you reference it there, you know, we're drawn towards the easier option as well. And that's where a natural human behavior will be drawn Mm -hmm. towards the easier. And the easier is 
almost never the right way to go. We have to, you know, rather than asking the questions from our partner, what are you seeking, what do you want, what what feels good for you and and seek that eye contact, that, that human t- touch, human connection or advocate our own needs. Sometimes we don't know them ourselves. Sometimes we're too ashamed. Sometimes it's just easier to click a search and look up whatever you want and get that. But it's it's it will disconnect you from connection yeah. with your partner. And I, I, I would see a lot of people come out and say that they have never been their connection with their partners have never been stronger when they've removed porn from their lives. It's It's been, that's what they would have said. Things have just improved massively that it just took touch, them walking past. And and I was more drawn towards it, they would say, and and it just felt right. And and yeah, it just, things, things only improved when it, they removed it rather than, mm. I didn't see any negative effects of anyone removing porn. And, in, in your experience, both as a practitioner and a human being mm. with, with friends and family and stuff like that, how common do you think that particular issue is? And abuse. Uh, oh, very common. And the the problem is we can shy away from the words abusive, negative, when it's a behavior that we want to engage in. And it can be looked at as quite soft. And then if they are drawn towards and they hear that guy say there's no negative impacts, then they're they're jumping on it because it's an easier solution. So I think it's just opening up the conversations, having the having the chats about it. I think it's very common. If I speak to a lot of young men, there's only a cohort of them that say, no, that wasn't for me. I, I felt lonely. I disconnected. I stopped having sex with my partner. Men my age that are in relationships for a long time. And they just said that they had to come away from it. It was just a rabbit hole. And they would say that what was mainstream before is that doesn't exist anymore. It's all aggressive. So they're looking at what appears to be violent attacks nearly. And it's just like, how am I getting aroused? So it's they're so fearful of it. And so they'd be the ones. But I think I think it's okay to attach these negative words to it to help people if they are questioning it and want to come away from it to to come away. But I, I think it's it's one of those behaviours that are socially acceptable. So, mm. And it requires uh, quite a level of self-awareness to realise that this is the thing because that, that's not giving, maybe it's giving me the dopamine hit, mm. but it's not giving me a deeper level of fulfilment. Yeah. To, to be able to recognise that requires either help or a level of self-awareness. Yeah. And then when we shift that age bracket away from men in their 30s and 40s to yeah. men in their teens and early 20s, yeah. that self-awareness isn't there. So what, what chances they got? Like, absolutely. Which absolutely. Is, which is a scary thing. Yeah, yeah. Because we're very lucky if it does exist in a, and a man that's 35 or 40 and they were like you know they can see it's a negative thing but young men find that very difficult that mm. reflection piece yeah yeah for sure and um, what are some of the other maladaptive behaviours you've come across so I would see drug use uh, a lot um and it's really just trying to soothe pain. And when, when you open up, and as I said, Gabber would always ask, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain. So when we really open up with these young people of what's going on for them, it's their suffering. Their their existence in their own bodies is a struggle. So if they have experienced trauma or for whatever reason, they don't feel safe within themselves. They don't trust themselves. There's nothing about themselves that they love. And to soothe that and to make that go away for a moment, they use drugs and it makes them feel good for that moment. And then that negative circle then starts, you know, that causes pain. And then we're, we're back to back to seeking more of that to soothe it. So I would see drugs time and time again. And depending on the type of experience that they're looking for, if they are disassociated sometimes they're seeking those amphetamines to get that lift and vice versa if they are hypervigilant and they want to be soothed sometimes they're looking for those opiates or cannabis um, to soothe themselves and to calm so yeah 
drug use would be very common feature, I would see, of maladaptive behavior. It's very accessible. Um, if they can't access mental health supports or they don't want to, it, this is an option that's available at every street corner for them. It's it's very easy to access uh, narcotics. Um, so I think that's why they drift towards it. And it immediately fixes. If you're to really think about moments of your own life where you've suffered, whether it's emotional pain or physical pain, and that there's an answer right there, or you can go on a 12-week waiting list, uh, you, you, you can see why people would drift towards the immediate fix. Mm. Also, I, I mean, environmental factors are huge. Uh, a lot of people don't know that, that such a thing exists as a waiting list or a HSC or someone to help. Absolutely. They've just grown up surrounded by this environment and this is the norm and this is what you do because dad did it or mom did it or, Absolutely. or, or, or my brother did it or whatever. Um, do, do you, and I'm not asking you to compromise yourself professionally here, but in your opinion, do you think there are, is, there are any situations where drug use is not unhealthy? Or maladaptive. I, I think before you remove this maladaptive behavior, you really need to question, is it the right move right now? So absolutely, like is, is them smoking cannabis keeping them alive? Is it, This maladaptive behavior has served them and probably to keep them alive. So before you go in there and just look at the drug and want to end the addiction, you really need to unpack the pain. So I don't, we, we can go in with the legislation saying this is the wrong thing. You're doing the wrong thing. You need to remove that. But the reality is we need to really understand that this is a coping strategy strategy that's helped them stay alive. So absolutely, has it served them? 100% has it kept them alive? In many cases, yes. So how do we look at dissolving the pain before removing the maladaptive behavior straight away? Mm -hmm. So yeah, that might be controversial and people might say, you know, you need to remove the drug straight away. But I think if you, if you, if you target it like that, we're just going to go back to an addictive yeah. need. And I suppose the, the reason I ask the question is because it's, it's, it's another similar answer. It's, it's an intent and the story you tell yourself. It's not the drug isn't the problem. It's the pain. It's the pain. The addiction isn't the problem. It's the pain. So yeah. the other part of the question that I was asking there was if I decided to use drugs, because I've, I've yeah. used substances before, like yeah. psychedelics and things like that, but my intent is completely different. The place I used them from was completely different. I wasn't mm -hmm. trying to escape or cover pain. Um, for example, alcohol is a drug that we use to cover and escape from pain. As much as yeah. people don't like to hear that because it's socially acceptable and it's, 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 I don't have a problem with alcohol. I don't have a problem with people drinking alcohol. But I'm very, very careful around this idea of using alcohol to cover up your pain. Even if your pain is, I hate my job. That's enough. Yeah. That's pain. That's 50 hours a week every day of your life that you're doing something. That's identity issues. That's all sorts of stuff. And alcohol could be the thing that helps you manage that. That's not a good story to tell yourself around alcohol. But mm. usually you're telling yourself the story, it's for the crack, it's for the lads, it's for the parties, for fine. But it, again, for me, it's not about the drug. It's about the pain. It's about the why. It's about mm. the intent. And once you have a good handle on that and self-awareness around that, then everything is is, is game ball. I'm not saying think about and do heroin now because you're, <laughs> you're a Buddhist monk and you feel great. You probably wouldn't if you were that much yeah. in connection with yourself. But yeah, again, it's, it's, it's to try and stop focusing on, we got to get rid of the drugs. We, we got to get rid of the drugs. It's the drugs. It's yeah, they, They're definitely a problem. And yeah, there's the problem around the criminality element of all that. And it creates a whole other subculture mm. of, of um, antisocial behavior and, and things like that. But it's it's not the problem. The problem is what's happening inside that person who mm. needs the drug. And that's pain. Yeah, there's so many interesting points that you said there. Just like So the psychedelic side, like for people, if your intent to engage in psychedelics is to you know, unpack what's going on for you and get a deeper knowledge into yourself. I'm not advocating that people go out and take psychedelics, but the intent in that situation 
can be really beneficial for people. And there's a lot of research on psychedelics at the moment. I'm not going to get into it uh, too much, but Gabber does fantastic. He speaks about it in a, in a, in a really in-depth way. Uh, it, it, people don't tend to do that for a soothing. Some people do because they just think it's a, a weekend away on ayahuasca. And I think if that's the weekend you want, I'd say just... You know, but that's fine. another form of escapism for some people. It, it, it is. It's another problem with plant medicines, yeah. If, if every second weekend you're going off to shaman and you're going off taking ayahuasca and you're having the best, or you think that you're that's the path you're going and you're already planning the next one before you uh, start finish that one, I think that's the wrong approach. But for some people, it really helps them get rid of the, the barriers that we can put up in front of ourselves to make ourselves believe this is why we act in a certain way. And I think it's it, it can dismantle them. Um, so I think I think that's that's one side. The alcohol side, I have my own opinion on alcohol. I haven't uh, drank alcohol in maybe 16, 17 years now. Um, and I think it, where it's really important, the language that we use. And when it comes to the lads that are like, I'm treating myself to pints, I'm heading out to have a, a treat. We really need to shift that. They're treating themselves to ingesting something that's going to inherently make them feel terrible for a few days. That's going to, if they're in training or they've got that kind of progress happening, it's going to diminish all the hard graft that they've put in that week. It's going to make them disconnected from their family because they're hungover, they won't have the ability. It's going to make them want to ingest more things that aren't good for them, like a takeaway the next day, a cash or I can't move. It, it really is a punishment on the body. And I think... A lot of men won't want to say because it, 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 it quenches pain and whether that is they work all week or for some people who are out and they find socialising really difficult, it's a fantastic social lubricant. It'll make you feel, it'll get rid of your inhibitions, your worries, it can loosen you up. But I think if you're uncomfortable in that environment, <clears throat> you should sit with it, ask why you're uncomfortable. Is it the right environment for you to be sitting in? If not, is there something else that you can be doing to make yourself feel better? I, I hear that conversation. I had a, a really good conversation with a guy recently in the gym. We went to the sauna, we were talking and, and he would have expressed the same. He was like, I work so hard all week and I watch what I eat and I, I go to the gym and I eat very carefully so I can have my pints. And he said, I need that. And that's my salvage. And he's like, what do you do? Because I was like, I'm also an entrepreneur. I work for myself and, and, and work is stressful. But there's no part of that is going to make me feel better about my week. It, it, it'll take away my time. It'll make me feel worse. It'll make my decision making worse. Like I, if you can shift your language to I'm going to treat myself to a gym session. I'm going to treat myself to good food. I'm going to treat myself to a good night's sleep. You tend to be drawn towards this positive behavior and seeing it for what it is. Like we treat ourselves to chocolate. We treat ourselves to alcohol. We treat ourselves to not going to the gym. She will just try, oh, I'll treat herself. I'll just relax now. Like this isn't, this is not treating our bodies with what it actually needs. So I think we need to reframe the language of treat. Like, and I, I'm very cautious of this with my own daughter when it comes to, can I have a treat? I'm like, here's a strawberry. She's like, that's not a treat. I'm like, no, that is a treat. Here, she's so like, I really, I was like, if you want sugar, for sure you can have that. But like, this is actually what we should be treating ourselves to. All of this good stuff. Like, you're, you'll feel better. So I think alcohol is very much the same. Very careful with our language. And our language will di dictate a lot of our behavior. It'll make it socially acceptable. So yeah, I'd be cautious on the alcohol side as well for a lot of young men who are looking for that escape inherently they're going to feel worse afterwards and there's other ways for them to make themselves feel better mm. that isn't true a substance which we will most certainly get to yeah. we will most certainly get to that because it's a, it's a cornerstone of what we're going to yeah. talk about today um, so we have drugs including alcohol mm -hmm. we have the porn mm -hmm. anything else cropping up in terms of 
common kind of things you, you, you would notice with people? I think um, struggling with, so mobile phone used to be one, and a lot of young men struggling with their identity, which is probably something we could uh, talk about as well. I think when they don't have an identity or a goal or a shift, and if they're not dedicating their time to something positive, something negative will take their time. And I think it's been, it's really good to be, conscious of how we are are using our time like we are very lucky we're in Ireland we've got fantastic resources available to us whether that be education and other opportunities of learning and engaging in different job opportunities and if and other things other things like meaningful connections outdoor spaces we've all of these if we don't intentionally use our time for something positive something negative would intentionally take our time. So I think how we use our time is is really something that I would see people using in a negative way. But mobile phone use would be it. Um, yeah. Would be and and probably, again, stemming from the same thing, it's easier to reach for the phone. And it be, I know it becomes a compulsion, it becomes an actual addictive behavior and a habit yeah. as well, but it also is allowed to occur because yeah. it's easier to reach for the phone than it is to deal with a negative thought or a negative feeling or a mm -hmm. negative impulse. And I mean, I'm I'm a great example of this. I am now really aware of when I don't feel good mm. or I get a, a negative like emotion at my phone mm. and a YouTube video or a mm -hmm. YouTube is my go-to. Like I, and it could be, I would tell myself the story of I'm watching a video on a camera yeah, or a mic yeah. or a yeah. business video or something like yeah. that. But it's really what it's doing for me is it's just calming me. Mm -hmm. It's calming me. Again, net some I don't feel great afterwards because it hasn't actually like calmed me. It's just distracted, distracted me. Mm. So the negative feelings are still there, but now I've usually sat for twenty minutes or an hour and done nothing mm. and I feel a bit shitter about myself and yeah. then I get up and have a bit of a headache. And anyone who's played computer games when you're younger will recognize that feeling when yeah. your mom tells you to get off the computer after four hours, you're like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it's a version of that, like yeah. So um, yeah, I, I I can completely relate to that. I can mm. completely understand it. I can completely empathize and sympathize with the the compulsive nature of it. Mm. I talk to to a good friend of mine, Brian, all the time about in in here in work, like the phone can't be within hands reach. Yeah. I'm a grown ass man, I, and mm. I run a business, and I still can't stop reaching for that goddamn phone. So I have to put it somewhere else, like a, like a baby. I have to put it out of my reach, or I'll take the thing and put it in my mouth. You know what I mean? <laughs> Same thing, I can't have the chocolate bars on the table anymore because yeah. I'll walk in and pick one up. So I'm yeah. not a, this this creature of discipline. Yeah. So for me, it's about creating the, uh, mm. the environment. But I'm lucky that I have people to hold me accountable mm. and I'm, I'm ensconced in, this is the word I used the other day, Brian had to check me on it, but I'm going to use it again, ensconced in this world of um, personal development mm. and growth and business and all that kind of stuff. But I'm lucky that I have that. I have mm. constant reminders for myself. Most people don't. Mm. So I completely get it. And I, whenever, whenever we're having these conversations, this is not judgment. It's to try and shine a light yeah. on this for people. And 99% of people listening right now, it might just wash over them. But there might be one person mm -hmm. sitting there going, fuck, yeah. Because that was me. That was, it had to happen to me. There was an ah moment. And there's been many ah moments since. So, so I think this conversation is, is so powerful. Um, with, with, with the work that you do, do you see... The question is not do you struggle to break through to these people because I know you have various techniques, but do is it a positive? Do you get a positive reaction from people when you highlight this stuff for them? Can you highlight this stuff for them? Um, I think it's really interesting. There's loads that you were saying there, and 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 that space like you are disciplined enough that you are putting strategies in place to stop you from doing it. So that's where I see discipline. I think for I put sure. the strategies in place because I don't have the discipline. <laughs> but I think if you're disciplined enough to do it, like, yeah. so you're engaging in the behavior that you're supposed yeah. to, and that's by putting those strategies in place. Yeah. So that's what I would say. Um, but I think if I come in at it 
with a lot of young people or adults that you need to do this and this is going to make your life better. The the biggest behavioral change will come where the, the pain of staying the same is going to be worse than the pain of change. At, at, at the moment when you're in a really low space and I, I can see that you're on your phone, you're eating bad food and you're up all night and I say to you, you need to come off your phone, you need to start eating better and you need to move your body. All of these are hard work. They're, I'm, so you're speaking with someone who might have depression or anxiety. I'm asking them to completely change their life and, and be really uncomfortable when they feel they're already at their capacity and they're just surviving. And I'm asking them to shift everything. So you ha- I feel for, you can do a psychoeducational piece with them. And that means really bringing forward the knowledge, the information, the, the research. Sometimes that can trigger something. It can go, you know what, that makes sense. But others, and what I find the the best foot forward from the lens of an occupational therapist is finding out what's meaningful for them and getting them doing it. Mm. And so starting with that. So when they have all these goals or I want to do this, I want to do that, I'm like, absolutely. If if they have them, amazing, and we'll work towards them. But it's just bringing just joy in the moment and them getting hooked on, okay, so for sure this felt a little bit uncomfortable, but the result was I feel really good about myself now. So it's it's that direction that I'm always swaying towards. Find what's meaningful for the person and that's where behavior will change. Other, otherwise, it can be really difficult. And for all those reasons, these are all coping strategies. They're maladaptive ones, but they're coping strategies that has helped them survive. Mm. So every and I'm saying you need to scrap all of them because they're nonsense. They're like, but I'm 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 managing. I'm you're right, I haven't left my room. You're right, I do feel like crap all the time. But I'm I'm not dying and I'm just getting through. So it's about giving them a taste of life and whatever that is, it's getting them out. And it can be a slow process. Um, but it's usually those conversations and OTs are fantastic for do, for that side. It's really just talking about what's meaningful for you, what occupations would you like to do? How do we or if they say, This is my goal, I'm like, these are the basics of how we need to get there. And then they need to see. So if it's like my goal is to attend a full day at work again or like my goal is to be able to go out on a social night I'm like right we need to break down what that looks like build the resilience that you need to be able to manage that and then we might just be trialling a few runs of going out to the pub what does this feel like bringing their anxiety levels up and then managing that and talking about different strategies but it's about the action of the doing and I mentioned that the last time that's the greatest success I see and I know I'm biased within the lens of occupational therapy but I think it's amazing and it's and it's about the action of the doing I'm not saying and particularly when it comes to trauma it's a, it's a wraparound approach it's like all of the therapeutic input that they can manage and cope with should be implemented it's not just OT but OT I feel is is really the driving force and in, in, in the shift for people to be like oh this feels good because you have to make somebody feel and and I think build evidence for them. And for me, changing paths or even career paths or big shifts in my life, part of me was looking for evidence. When you have that self-doubt or those questions, I just want evidence to say, am I going to be okay? Is this going to be fine? And so I'm trying to develop evidence for them. So I would say that would be, it is slow. It's hard. It's not easy. Um, and then just giving them a taste of that and all, always opening up to, how have these served you? What is going on for you? What's the pain? What's that like? But really trying to build the evidence as well to mm. say, you know, things, this is the life you could be living. Yeah, yeah. Um, the sad reality, though, as well, with all this is that sometimes it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't turn around. It doesn't. Or people don't get the help. Yeah. Or people don't engage. And yeah. As you mentioned to me on the phone, like, 
pe- people end their own lives. Yeah. And it's if the numbers are to be believed, it's becoming more and more common, particularly among men. Mm. Um, and you mentioned to me a personal story of your own as well. Yeah. There. So is, is that something that you, it is becoming more of a part of this journey for you now as well? I think so, Dan. Yeah, I think I had that conversation with you in in, the, in recent years. There's been a, a number of my friends, many fathers, many my own age, who have lost their own lives through drug addiction or through taking their own lives through just struggles. And, and, and that's their reality for whatever reason, whatever pain they were feeling, whatever, uh, that they couldn't see another way out. Um, it's It was really hard for them. Maybe lack of services, maybe an inability to think that services could support them or trying services and it just didn't work for them. So I think for me, a lot of men need to hear that there is hope. There is, an, and, and let me hone into to hope and because I think it's a really important, we have to believe that there is an answer. We have to believe that change can come. If you're working with a young person or an adult and they don't have hope or they don't believe change is going to come, you are, you're at a loss. So, and that's there, that's them being able to latch on to the future identity of who they could become. So hope is huge. Um, so it's, it's trying to develop that. Evidence will help with that. Um, so I, I, I really feel at the moment Men are massively struggling. They are really lacking in social connection. They struggle to connect. They struggle to open up. They struggle to open up with their own emotions. They don't know. They don't know who they are in society at the moment, and and that's really hurting them because they've lost that that role of like, okay, I thought this is who I should be, or I thought this is who society would want me to be, and now I actually don't know what direction I'm going. So, I, I'm very concerned for men particularly because I think they're very isolated and they find it really difficult to connect to their emotions and understand that I need help and who 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 should I ask when you when I speak to a lot of these young men and I ask who do they go to the answer is usually no one like or no one cares and it's like and I would speak with young women as well they would often have someone they would often have someone that they felt that they could connect with. And I think women in general are fantastic for building those social connections and making sure they have the coffees with the, their girls and have the chats. And men are just, we're rubbish at it. Absolutely. So I, I think connection is a huge component of our, our, our existence. So if we can connect with people, connect with people in a positive way, connect people who might be in a journey with us, um, who are struggling as well, and that we're connecting through doing something that's benefiting our life, whether that be movement, even like couch to 5k running group, or whether that be going, having that conversation in the sauna. The sauna over the last few years has been, I've had some of the most in-depth conversation with men that like we just kind of talk about different topics. Sometimes it's addiction, trauma. Sometimes it's becoming a workaholic. What does that look like? What are we trying to escape from? And I'm just like such a beautiful space. All men in there in short, just like, and it's, it's, and we're doing something that's benefiting our health. We're really connected and or others that we're going off for a run in the morning. And so I think if we can find our tribes, whatever that looks like, but connecting with people who are pushing us in the right direction. And, I, and I'm, I'm not anti-alcohol and I think it serves a purpose, but just to be mindful that it's not based around something that's going to make us feel worse as well. Yeah. Very well put. Um, 
a lot of the stuff that we spoke about earlier on with the maladaptive behaviors, addiction, all that kind of stuff. For me, especially over the last few years, I think about this stuff a lot, talk about a lot as well as this idea of identity. Mm. I'm always like, what is this? What is this thing, this identity? And then obviously now, as you pointed to there, there's a conversation around masculinity at the moment. There's this idea of a loneliness epidemic among Mm. men, the rates of suicide are going up. And also, I must say, like women have their own struggles. And my personal belief is the individual struggles of men and women in their own sense of identity are what are leading to a lot of this absolute horseshit social narrative around men and women against each other and in the workplace. And like, it's for me, it's all bullshit. When people come into me with these political arguments, I'm like, this, your argument is built on the shadiest, loosest foundations there because we're not talking about our, our individual mm. identity and nourishing and supporting that. All we're doing is shouting down the identity of the opposite sex. Mm. Men need to be less masculine. Well, women need to be more feminine. Mm. And it's all this bullshit. But actually, my opinion lies in if, if we were to do our own work and had support doing our own work, those relationships just blossom and flourish. Mm. I've experienced that personally in mm. almost every aspect of my life mm-hmm. by doing my own work by mm-hmm. stopping looking outwards and starting to try and look a little bit more inwards mm-hmm. and even though as I always say I am rubbish at it I started and I've noticed results already so for me I'm like right this is the pathway this is what I'm doing mm-hmm. I'm going to work on me um, and it's where I think when you hear all the messages from the likes of Rogan and Jocko Willink and, and all these people who are saying go hard and be I'm like yeah that's an extreme version but the message is kind, kind of right like do, do the work mm-hmm. make the bed work on yourself and then all the interpersonal stuff kind of just takes care of itself then mm-hmm. um, so that's my opening statement for, 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 for the conversation on, on identity and um, I do believe that a lot of the pain that we've referred to and you've spoken about the, the, the behaviors and symptoms of addiction and alcohol and all that kind of stuff my personal belief is it comes from a complete loss of self and um, if, if you don't have a solid foundation of who I am and what I am meant to do or because I had this conversation the other day, if you don't believe there's something you're meant to do, something you can find meaning in, Mm. if you don't have that, of course you're going to feel this kind of deep, dark hole inside yourself Mm. that you're just going to fill with whatever you can Mm. fill it with, be it the alcohol, the porn, the drink, whatever. So I I think most, if not all of our issues in the modern world come from this sense of identity, this this poor connection with our sense of who we are. From the, I'll, I'll speak more to the male side of things today because... I'm a man. I understand men. I don't understand women at all. So I speak to, to, to the male side of things. Um, if I think about big picture, why we seem to struggle, and I include myself in this and probably yourself as well, mm-hmm. why do we seem to struggle as men nowadays? I, I look at what maybe historically have been the tools that we've used. We spoke earlier about a very, uh, like if we think about our fathers or grandfathers, a very, very clear sense of purpose. Difficult life bred some pretty damn good mm. men so there's a lesson there they had to get up they had to work 15 16 hours at physical jobs mm. in the mines on the fields but there was multiple beneficial aspects you've alluded to them there physical work mm. a sense of direction and purpose mm. camaraderie before that you were a soldier in the army and you were maybe you didn't sort out your individual identity but you had this shared sense of purpose mm. with all these other men and you were going out to, to defend the town or you were going to capture the lion or whatever it was so through that you could develop a sense of purpose maybe it was not your unique individual God-given identity but it was a sense of purpose I am here with these with my brothers we had uh, initiations and we had um, manhood rituals where we learned a lot of these lessons about this is now how you craft yourself into a a person who has purpose. And then within that vessel, you can kind of find some more unique bits of yourself. 
but here's how you build yourself into a man. And again, it was go into the mountains there for two days and catch yourself a, an eagle and all, all this mad stuff they do. But it wasn't necessarily the thing. It was, this is now a, a step towards being a man. And we as grown men in the tribe are going to help you on that journey. What do we have today? Fuck all. Nothing. Like we have the pub and we have sports, but most of us aren't actually engaged in the like sports. Most people follow sports, but don't play any sports. Most people. Some people, like I'm, people think I'm ridiculous now, 35, playing playing Gaelic football. I was laughing the other day because the, the, the Doves obviously won, uh, won the all and up the Doves. <laughs> the commentator kept talking about 40-year-old Stephen Cluxton, 40-year-old Stephen Cluxton, but they're banging on about his age here a lot. But unless, <laughs> un, unless as, as we get into our 30s and 40s, you are like particularly dedicated to a particular sport, <clears throat> most of us do nothing. <clears throat> Maybe a bit of five-a-side every now and again. Um, but what do we have to lean on then? The pub, as you alluded to. That's why it becomes so popular. And then it comes along with this nice sedative that we can take to ease the pain mm. and all the other lads are doing it. So it's socially acceptable. Mm. But there's no real positive outcome on the other side of that. So that, that that's why I personally believe this. the symptoms of this is we get a lot of men who struggle. We got a lot of men who unfortunately end their lives because they don't see a way out. We got a lot of men who go a really, really bad, or not a lot, some men who go a bad direction and become predatory mm-hmm. uh, and become... Um, uh, a danger to society mm-hmm. because they've no other way of directing or harnessing that that energy. But all of that for me is downstream of identity. Um, so that's my my little my little speech on identity there. But I, I the reason I think it's so important is because as I said, all of these other things aren't necessarily the problem. Mm-hmm. They're symptoms and outcomes of this lack of identity. Mm-hmm. And for me, and we'll discuss some of the practical things we can do. But for me, on a conceptual level, trying to really embrace the fact that if you have a sense of meaning and purpose, not it doesn't have to be a thing. It could be anything that you find can find some meaning in. If you don't have that, you, you are going to struggle. And not only that, if you don't take some time to figure out if you have that, like maybe you do a job you don't particularly like, but maybe you could find purpose in that job. Unless you stop and think about it though, you probably never will. So you'll hate the job and you'll want to do something else to make up for the fact that you hate your job. Relationships the same. Everything for me is the same. So like it, it's it's giving, it's hopefully listening to conversations like this because this is what did it for me. Listening to this, at some point it clicked in my head. I was like, this is not an original idea for mm-hmm. me. At some point somebody said something that I was like, oh, and now all I want to do is sit down with people like yourself because I laugh because like before we turn these mics on I say this a lot but we actually just sit here mm-hmm. and we're buzzing talking about the same mm-hmm. stuff that we talk about on the podcast so it's not like we've designed this for the show this is the stuff that I, I literally crave because for me it gives me more purpose and identity and then what do I do? I become a better dad I become a better partner I become a better friend I become a better version in my own head of myself and I've better self-talk mm-hmm. and it's like tiny bits mm. but it's all this direction now instead of that direction so for me that's it, that's massive it's everything for me just heavy I can feel I'm emotional hearing you speak that's yeah yeah great well, like thanks for listening yeah no honestly and just that like aligning with doing things that are meaningful to you and how much of a positive impact that's having on your relationships your connection which instills a further meaning in your life this is, I don't know where to. Take your just, time. Uh, Take there's your so turn. much. So, so let's let's start with like finding our own identity and our and our purpose. Uh, to touch on somebody who's been impacted by trauma, they don't trust themselves 
to make the right decisions. They actually, their decisions haven't served them well. So they're looking at evidence going like, I haven't made the right decisions. I don't know what I'm doing. I internally don't trust myself. I don't trust people. So they're very, very disconnected from who they actually are. They don't know and they don't believe the things that are coming up because their behavior is doesn't make sense to them either. So I think it's very hard for someone who's traumatized to really try to find out who they are and really start trusting their decisions. So that's a, a, a huge hurdle. Uh, when you were referencing back years ago and men working at absolutely everything you were saying, it was like that movement piece. You don't have to find meaning in your job. You have to have, find meaning in your life. And if your job is working in Tesco and you get to go home and have that holiday with your family and or you have a 20-hour a job a week and you get more time to connect with people that you love it doesn't matter about the job it it's are you finding a meaning in your life in your everyday I think there's only a very small percentage of us that are lucky enough you're one of them I'm one of them that has found their role and going this is exactly where I need to be I think there's a lot of people, I say 99% of people aren't in that position. Uh, unfortunately, I think they can find it. But I think if they can find that job that they're like, this is where I, this is my dream job. This is exactly what I should be doing. How do you find meaning in your everyday? And what are you doing to try to look for that? So yeah, there's loads of what you said there. I was like, oh, uh, and it is, it's it's to look at the roles that men would have had in the past. Um that they were like, this is what I do and this is where, I'm not saying that there wasn't mental health issues in the past, but movement was a huge part of it. We are very disconnected. I, I see a very stagnant society and like you're speaking about playing five aside, you're one of the few that of men that of your age that is engaging in, first of all, a connection, a, a sport with other people, but play, joy, something that brings a bit of a giggle and a laugh. There's very few men that are doing those things, very few. So I think having those will be really positive, positive impact on your on your mental health because your, you're going to be connecting with people, your peers and, and enjoying that, that space. But I think how do you find meaning? What does meaning look like to you? And it can look very different. And when we're pushed into a certain role, like whether it is an over-masculine or an over-feminine role and it isn't who we are, that's where we will struggle. Because I think some men want to find the feminine role and I can say in my life, there's aspects of my life that are quite masculine and aspects of my life that are quite feminine. I work with kids. I work in healthcare. I'm interested in psychology. I'm interested in people. That's They're very feminine attributes. Um, but I love feeling like a provider, feeling like a dad, doing hard graft, you know, doing tough work, tough exercise. That also makes me feel really good. So it's very conflicting in one sense. I don't just fit into a criteria of engineering and this is what I do. I just like machines. I don't want to deal with people. I'm completely the other way around. So, but I'm proud in each space, each hat that I put on. I think some men struggle to be proud and it depends on their environment. I think the, the, the greatest thing for us to really discover who we are is to be up rooted from our immediate environment and lifted and put somewhere else. If that means moving to a different county or moving to a different country or breaking away from the circle of our friends. If we're looking around and we're not happy and our environment isn't serving us and we're trying to discover who we actually are, get up and leave and move. It isn't that hard. Uh, for me, I spent five years outside of Ireland traveling. Uh, I've been to 50 different countries. 50? Yeah. Had loads of... Wow. <laughs> Loads of amazing, unique experiences and every single one of them helped me understand myself more and more and more by meeting different people, different cultures. And, and one of the, the biggest factors in that is 
I wasn't who I was when I was in my hometown of Shannon. I wasn't Podge, who oh, I was identified back then. Identified. Don't uh, call it Podge. <laughs> no, Podge is fine. My sister, my nephews, my mom calls me Podge. I always know if there it's if it's cousins or my family. When I hear Podge, I'm like, that's that's that life. Cork, it's like Podrick, the professional. Um, but so I started introducing myself as the person I wanted to be and the person who I believed I was. So every time I put my hand forward, it's like, hi, my name is Padraig. I am this, not I am this person who was in my hometown who might have up to no good or done whatever. It's like, I'm part. So I, every environment, I really helped shape who I was because I was putting my identity forward, who I was, not who people believed I was. So you really start finding out who exactly you are because you're identifying it every time you meet somebody. So what were some of the things you would say? I'm class. <laughs> um, I'm Todd and I'm class. <laughs> I don't, I like, I rather than it being specific parts of my personality, it would be the conversation that I could lean into and and then hearing feedback of what people believed I was or the type of interaction or how they felt with that, with all of these interactions. And it was all really positive. So it was a series of really positive back and forth connections with different people. And that made me feel really good. And it just made me feel like this is where I needed to be. Like that was the discovery for me wanting to work with people was like I had worked in building sites for years uh, prior to getting into healthcare. And it was connecting with people. And that that happened when I was abroad. I, I would be very surprised if I stayed in Shannon. I'd be very surprised if I was still alive or if I had good health, if that was my path. I left Shannon when maybe when I was 19 and started traveling. Um, but I think I, w- I would be very surprised if this is where I, no, I wouldn't be surprised. It would be absolutely impossible for me to be sitting here having a podcast with you if that was where I'd stayed. I had to change my environment to f- become who I was, who the man I'm sitting in front of. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So that would be for me, that was a big, there was a big shift, but it was lifting from my environment that that environment didn't serve me. And for many of my friends, it didn't serve. And unfortunately it took their lives. So I think it was, it's, you have to get up. And so if you don't feel good. It isn't that scary. People are frightened of, but I can change or I don't. It's it, what's scarier is staying the same. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I can speak to that as well. And I, I, I uh, that really resonates with me. But there's a lot of people also who one don't know that that is an option. Like I, I often think when you don't feel good, it's not that you know that there's this thing you can do. Sometimes you, you're not even. You're not even aware that something exists outside of how you feel right now because it consumes you. Mm. It becomes, as we said earlier on, your identity. Pain is my identity or self-hate or shame or whatever. This is my identity now. So being able to kind of logically or consciously think, you know what, if I get up now and I go and visit 50 countries and that'll change or or move down the road, that'll that'll really do this for me. Um, And even if you even if someone says it to you, like you said earlier on, for you to say my environment is probably where I find that false sense of comfort as well, because it's where maybe I have access to the maladaptive behaviors, the drugs, the whatever it might be. I can get all that stuff here. It's familiar to me. And the unfamiliar is even more fear that'll add to this kind of melting pot. I used to not, not that I wasn't sensitive to the issue, but I didn't give a lot of thought to the environment and how it affected other people who I viewed as maybe less than in society. So people who were robbing or stealing or hurting or dealing or all this kind of stuff. I didn't have a lot of empathy or time for them. And I'm not saying now that I I, I condone beha- the behavior. The behavior for me, there's a line. You cross the line, society has to intervene and there's, there's, there's consequences. 
but I'm a lot more understanding now and Jill is a big part of that because she worked in a lot of underprivileged areas and she was basically saying like you'd have somebody their entire life with drugs and drink and bad nutrition and no movement and abusive parents and their brothers got into drugs and what the hell else is that kid going to do? Like there is no chance and on a spectrum we're all kind of the same. We're products of whatever we grew up with and come back, coming back to that lovely trauma word if our parents have dealt with stuff or are not dealing with stuff, if our environment is poor, if our friends are not, uh, the, the people we fall in with are not necessarily conducive mm. to us, we're, we're going to have negative outcomes. Mm. And sometimes it's very hard to be able to see if I change this environment, I'll change my outcome. Um, so having, again, having conversations like this, I feel we will be the ones to have the impact because I'm sure if someone listening in one of these underprivileged areas now, if they happened to somehow hear this podcast, mm. it probably wouldn't really hit home for them to be like, who the fuck are these two mm. lads with nice jobs and driving around in their cars and healthy families? And who are these guys to tell me? But like you've had your pain, I've had my pains. We've had a taste, we have an understanding. But we also want to make sure that everybody we touch gets some mm -hmm. form of this as well so that they can create an environment and hopefully that would spread. That would be my hope with this kind of stuff anyway. Yeah. Um, and I suppose it's why you do the work you do. Yeah. Would that be yeah. fair? Yeah. Uh, and and, and I, I, I agree. I think it is, it's about if somebody does listen and they are thinking maybe this is the option. And you're right. I, 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 I've heard that people say, but you're privileged with your mindset. So while I wasn't brought up in a lower socioeconomic area, I left my school attendance was very poor from 12, 13, kind of left school very young. Wasn't for me. Um, and people say, but you have a privileged mindset. So you, while you didn't come from a privileged area, your mindset has been to trigger this. So uh, and while I feel very lucky with my mindset, because I was in an environment where people weren't heading that direction. They weren't thinking, oh, I'm going to go travel or I'm going to do this. But there was something in me that always wanted more. And I leaned into whatever good adult was there at that time and I have one one good adult that I went back years later and just thanked at a job when I was 15 I was useless I was scattered I was all over the place things weren't good for me I was just finished school but she saw something in me and it was it was her lens on me and I was like if she believes I could be somebody maybe I could and it was wow. it's those moments so I would really encourage adults when they're engaging with young people if you see something in them and you think there could be somebody, you just say it to them. Don't leave yeah. the moment past. They're hungry for it and a little bit of praise. And a, and and I mean, authentically say it. If you see someone and you don't see that they could have a future, don't say it. Don't be disingenuous. Be genuine um, because they'll read it. And yeah. I, so I think it's it's a really powerful tool to to use. And I feel... I have a beautiful life. I feel extremely happy. I'm doing a job that I love. I have a healthy, beautiful daughter. I've got to travel the world. I I feel really lucky. That wasn't the path that I was supposed to live. And so I'm very grateful that this is the path that I'm on. But it also shows that th there is another way. There is another answer. You can see more. You can want more. You can be curious. And just that self-belief and that identity. I believed that I was going to be more, even though nothing about my upbringing said it, nothing about my school environment. I was failing massively. I had dyslexia, undiagnosed. They, I really struggled. I had couldn't really read properly. I was really, life was really tough. But there was a part of me that said, nah, there's, there's more out there. So latching onto a positive identity that there is a chance, there is hope, will be one of the strongest tools that will make you lean into that environment. It'll make you go and go, mm. you know, there is an option, there is. Because... There's always options there, 
when your eyes are open to them and you believe that you could walk through the door, you'll see the door. If you don't believe that that could be your life, you'll never open the door, you know, because people will come and go in your life and give you some opportunities or say a little and just latch onto it, grab it. I'm not a believer that the universe will come and give you your life. I don't believe that at all. I believe when we have a real clear goal and clear identity that when the universe is presented to us, we push doors down and we open the doors and we fight for it and we go after it. I don't believe that I'm going to sit at home and want a good life and a good life is going to knock on the door and say, come on, it's this way. It doesn't work like that. You have to see it and then your eyes are drawn towards the opportunities. Really interesting that you made that point today of all days. This morning, we're recording this on a Tuesday, this Wednesday. This morning, uh, I released a podcast, the one I recorded with Brian, speaking about this idea of purpose and meaning. And that was how I visualize it as well. There's opportunity everywhere, but yeah. we're blind to it. Yeah. And we need somehow to develop the skills to be able to see it. And mm. it's, it, then we are, then it's the same opportunities, but then we can take control. A few lovely points you made there. I'm actually going to use, slight caveat, a podcast I'm listening to at the moment. I'm not sure if you've heard it, The Witness. Have you heard this? No. So very interesting. Someone recommended that I listen to this podcast. I don't usually listen to these kind of crime documentary style podcasts, but this is essentially, I won't ruin it, but it's essentially about um, a young Irish guy from Ballymun, if I'm not mistaken, who gets caught up in a very bad world and he becomes part of a a kind of a violent drug gang and ends up becoming a witness to a crime. And this this is the, and it's him. It's actually Mm. him being interviewed in it. So you're hearing this guy tell his story, abuse, misdirection, being taken advantage of, all these different things, which transpires in him becoming a part of this criminal world through no fault of his own. He was he was completely taken advantage of. And to hear him tell the story, it's actually really heart-wrenching mm. to hear him talk about this and how he got completely consumed by this world and abused. But from the outside, he is the type of person that you would look at walking in and going, look, look at your man. He's yeah. Stay away from your man. Like yeah. he's, a, he's, a, he's a piece of work there without any appreciation for his story. Now again, mm. there's a line. If you crossed your line and made your family unsafe there's a line there but mm. there's a reason why he's there and this podcast just really gives you a deeper understanding of the the, the stories behind these people and like his complete um, lack of any autonomy over the stories he tells himself or the identity he builds for himself because it's been taken advantage of. Mm. So the reason I think it's interesting based on the story you just told there is because you could take that same person and tell him a positive story and all of a sudden he's starting to see the doors. He's starting to see the opportunity. He's starting to believe. And that that could completely transform his life, your life, society as we know it. Absolutely. And Jill has often mentioned that phrase, you, you spoke to me there, one good adult. It's huge research in it. It doesn't have to be a mother or father, any no. one good adult yeah. to tell you the story, to implant the seed in you as a young Padraig that this is what you can do. And again, mm. everything that would, your, your environment would suggest, you managed to take a slightly mm. different path and that just set you off on your journey. Mm. And now you're sitting here in front of me today t- talking about this stuff with, with all the wealth of experience you have. So that's how powerful this could be. Mm. It's also one of the reasons I love podcasts because this could be the story or the one thing that you, you could be that one good adult for somebody listening to this podcast right now. Even another adult listening mm. to this podcast right now, their, their, their inner child could hear you speaking and yeah. that, that could be an, uh, what they need. Do you know what? Podrick said this thing on this mm. podcast because that was for me that happened as well. Mm. I can't remember if there was one specific thing, but it was listening to people speak in a certain way. Let me know that I could be this person. Mm. And I could do these things. And I was like, fuck, I'm leaning into this. And it come completely off course to where, where I, was, I was in medical world. like, And I just went off on this. on this. But it took 
somebody having a conversation for me to absorb that information and go. Yeah. Um, so like, I just think that that podcast I'm listening to now is it's so interesting. And the other point, which ties in with earlier on, just, just to completely <laughs> sidetrack us and bring us back to the drug thing, is he was talking about, because um, you mentioned drugs are so widely available mm. everywhere. I think people think this is an other people problem. Mm. This is fucking everywhere. everywhere. And this kid was saying, they used to, he used to deliver drugs in the milk van. The whole thing is about the milkman and posting in heroin and coke through people's doors. And he was describing like all of the upper class areas that he would be going around to and women in their like fur dressing gowns picking up the package of coke or heroin from, from with their milk like in the mornings. Mm-hmm. And he was like, it was every, everybody was buying mm-hmm. shit. Everybody. Which to me doesn't suggest we have a broken society because there's drugs everywhere. It suggests that so many people are struggling with everything that you talked about there. It's not the underprivileged socioeconomic areas and mm. like there's pain everywhere. There's pain everywhere. And where there's pain, there's addiction and there's problems. Absolutely. So like, all of that, as you're speaking, it's all tied in. I was like, Jesus, that podcast actually illustrates a lot of this stuff. Hearing this kid mm. talk about it, a lot of this stuff around identity and drugs mm. and addiction and problems and one good adult. And he had one bad adult mm. and that one bad adult shaped his entire life, his entire life. Um, so yeah, very, very interesting to, to hear that. Um, to... to Move on to a slightly funner topic. Why is Andrew Tate changing the world? (laughs) 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 To put you on the spot. No, it's it's linked very tightly with what we just spoke about with identity. I think, yeah, there's a lot of men that are seeking identity. I have a lot of men coming in to me and when I hear the word matrix uh, coming from their mouths, I'm like, I, I know the direction that they're on and I think we spoke about it earlier. They're seeking guidance. They're seeing, they're looking for a positive model, role model, and they're drawn towards him. And he can throw out one or two sentences that make perfect sense, work hard, do this, this is the result. And then they're kind of getting lost in the whole concept of the matrix and, you know, a fast cash, cash that is uh, like an incredible amount. Uh, so they're, they're drawn towards the, the rock star lifestyle. He looks good, tattoos, big guy, speaks about, the, you know, smoking cigars, doing whatever he wants, private jets. So people are drawn to the fantasy because he's a real person as well. It's not just a movie star and he's living a, a movie star life. So I think people are drawn to him. But I think there's a lot of young men that are just lost. They just, they want, they want guidance and they're bypassing some really positive influences. Like for me, Andrew Huberman, he, when I hear there's like my, my feed is drowned with Andrew Tate and I'm not drawn towards that material at all. It didn't matter. It was coming into my YouTube feed anyway. Up until the last year, they've just completely (laughs) cancelled everything. Yeah, yeah, it it is a massive, yeah, there has been a massive shift, but I I couldn't understand it because it it isn't the content to be all psychology and trauma. And then he just started coming, but people were so drawn to his material and then about, you know, treat women this way, fuck this, fuck that. And then Andrew Huberman was speaking about research around women and it was such a, it was a beautiful clip and he was like, but this is what women are saying that they want. They, they're they seeking kindness and they're seeking love. And it was just bypassed from drivel of a, a, like a, aggression and because Andrew Huberman isn't driving, like has doesn't have his top off, you know, it's tattoos and they weren't really... He's actually covered in tattoos. He is, always with the shirt yeah. yeah. tied down. Yeah. Uh, but he, he like, when I saw that, I was like, how are we missing a very positive influence where he's speaking about the research of what women are actually seeking and we're drowned with this nonsense um so yeah i think a lot of men are looking for guidance they're seeing the 36 37 year old andrew tate and they want to be him right now um and he has had his struggles he has worked hard he has obviously some level of intelligence and work ethic um so i think their people are drawn towards the end result 
and not realizing that maybe he had to do A, B, C, and D to become that. They want the the fast cars now, the Matrix. Yourself and James made this point before we started recording here, and I thought I was like, I don't know why I've never actually thought about that before. It's brilliant. Could you could you just flesh that out just a little bit there? Because you were speaking about he is uh, thirty seven. He's talking about this lifestyle and the Bugattis and all this yeah. kind of stuff. But he actually is somebody who has achieved, before all of this fame, a lot of things in his life. He, he's done a lot of graft. He's, he's, at least, if, is he four times world champion kickboxer? Like, what, is he, what has that taken for him to sacrifice, to commit to that, that level of training and discipline and resilience to work that hard? And then you have an 18-year-old that their mother is cutting the crust off their sandwiches um, and they have to clean their room for them. And they want all of this without being willing to do anything except watch a video. Yeah. They, they don't have, they want the end result without having the work ethic or the resilience or the hardship or you speak about the Tate brothers having for one of their birthdays that they go and they have KFC and because of the struggles of what it was like for them for years having to go to KFC and take the leftover chicken that was left and they would like when people would get up and they'd leave their bucket behind it they would go and get the chicken peel all off the chicken cut it off put it in the freezer and that was their protein that they used to survive on when they were struggling like that was the the life that they lived and the hard graft and it sounds like I'm celebrating or praising I was just going to say yeah <laughs> I'm not by the way um, but that's that's like when you look at all of the path that they went on to to be where they are and I don't praise what they represent at the moment because it's it's alcohol cigar smoking and and, and prison so none of those things are my cup of tea like I'm I, I'm about meaning in life and and connection and social connection and things that are really important they do represent it with br their their brotherhood or their love yeah. for each other but yeah so I think people are seeking the end result uh, inequipped to do any of the hard graft to get them there they just want that because it's, it seems cool and easy and but without much understanding of what it might take to get there I think that that is a really fantastic point and I really like because like, wow that's a great point when you said earlier on a couple of uh, follow up points on, on the tape stuff uh, this is not a celebration of, of, I don't know these people personally, but it's not a celebration of what I heard a very good comment recently from, I think it was Sam Harris, um, who said that, yes, maybe a lot of the stuff they're saying resonates for the reason we talked about, because mm -hmm. you have an 18 year old at home who wants all of the things they're yeah. saying. And some of the words they say make sense, like work hard. But there's two issues with that. Number one, it's not coming from a place of compassion mm. with the Tate brothers. And again, what I, that, it was my opinion, but it's not original opinion. Sam Harris said it, and I was like, that makes a lot of sense. It's not coming from a place of compassion. It seems to be coming from a place of, um, fuck you, get this done, be like me. This is the, I'll, I'll take what I want, and you should take what you want too. Yeah. It's not about, this is a, a good way to live, this is going to make you a better person. It's it's not coming from that space. Whereas maybe if you listen to some of the, the earlier Peterson stuff, it seems very obvious that he's compassionate towards the people usually young men that he seems to be talking mm. to. There's a difference in where the message comes from and yeah. that affects the message. Um, and the second thing is, I believe that these guys are fully aware that the 18-year-old kid doesn't have any of the skills, but they're they're using these headlines to get them to buy the courses and to go and to, to build this, this massive audience of people who are Tate worshippers, fully understanding that most of these people don't have the skills that those two guys, to be fair to them, have and built their empire on. Most people don't have. Mm. They, they don't have uh, uh, fighting backgrounds, which teaches you about discipline and training. And they don't have, they didn't have the struggle in their early life where they were like peeling KFC to keep them going. And I think when you understand that, 
it's taking advantage of the, the younger people then. Mm-hmm. It's no longer leading. It's now taking advantage by p- portraying this lifestyle as something that you can get if you follow me on Instagram and buy my course and engage in this lifestyle. So all of a sudden, it's not... Um, be confident in yourself and hold yourself with pride and stand up tall. It's fuck this other guy. If he's weaker than you, you can kick the shit out of him and steal his girlfriend. As Sam Harris says, <laughs> if you're not good enough, I'm going to kick the shit out of you and steal your girlfriend. <laughs> it, it's not like you should be a better person. And this is why, and this is how you do it. And like for the next 20 years, put your head down mm-hmm. a bit. It's not that. So that's why I think it's confusing as well. Because as you said, not only does, and this isn't being patronizing, but not like 18, I was a fucking moron. Yeah. I'm not saying 18 year olds are, but I, I know it's like to be an 18 year old boy. And, I I think at that age, it's very easy to misinterpret that type of a message in a very negative way. So it ends up in me just having a bad attitude towards other people that doesn't stem from me being a confident, in control person. I'm just going to take the be shit towards women and be shit towards other guys and take what you want. And I mean, that's not necessarily a a positive message Mm -hmm. um, coming from the Tate, as opposed to some of the other people that you've mentioned there like mm-hmm. for example Huberman is, is very popular at the moment but it's coming from a place of he's able to understand yourself and his psychology and his educate yourself and mm-hmm. still work hard and he's trying to improve himself can I ask you a question mm-hmm. personal question you've decided to roll the sleeve up this time uh, with the last time you didn't have the tattoo out um, I don't I don't know if it was intent okay. maybe there's less of me not having them but you're right actually I, when I went to Huberman and the tattoo was like oh my sleeves are up yeah, yeah. because normally I would be mindful of it um, and I just just don't think um, like giving and, and not not that I make judgments of people who have at tattoos because I have tattoos but I think f- sometimes it can take the um, the presence and the connection away when you're drawn towards my arms rather than my eyes or my face or my words so okay. that's often but uh, I'm really warm today <laughs> so yeah maybe that's that's why does it does it and this is not a psychology session by the way but mm-hmm. do you feel that um, the judgment of people who might Mis, re, misrepresent you based on the fact that you have a tattoo is that important to you or do you just feel like maybe the message you have is more important than how you're perceived by a person um, I think sometimes the message that I'm trying to get across I just want it to be clear and not to be distracted by tattoos and I think it can be like I, I, like for me if I'm looking at somebody and if they did have tattoos I sometimes am overly drawn to that and I'm no judgment of it because I have tattoos myself but sometimes I'm, my eyes are looking at that or they're and I'm missing some some of the the points maybe so I I, I, I worry if I was giving a talk or I was given a, a, a presentation at school or I would normally have the sleeves down so yeah <laughs> no debating with it third out blurred out uh, yeah, I, I just think it's an interesting question because mm. like especially in in this world in the media and the podcast and all the kind of stuff that we, we engage in nowadays it's hyper accelerated the sense of imposter syndrome or the sense of being judged or um, and like I, I personally I like tattoos but there is an initial judgment there when you see someone who has tattoos I don't know why it's just inherent I don't know is it is it a cultural thing is it attached to our, our watching movies of like fucking Hell's Angels and stuff like this oh this guy might be a bit rough around mm-hmm. the edges I, I notice it sometimes as well if I get off the, the motorbike and I get off the motorbike and I take the helmet off and I'm some dude rocked up on a loud bike with a shaved head and people have been like your man's probably probably a bit mm-hmm. and I'm like hi I'm Dan <laughs> I couldn't have got him all wrong like, <laughs> uh, but yeah so I, I recognise that but I'm also I, I'm conscious of it in the last couple of years trying to really find my own voice on the podcast and be very comfortable saying the things I actually believe uh, it's all a part of it for me like I'm not trying to create an identity for people to like me and like mm. the podcast I'm trying to have conversations as me and that's been a struggle for me 
in the early days and I'm getting more comfortable with it now. So I'm just interested because I deal with a lot of people who start this stuff fresh and the go-to is to create a persona and put a persona out there. And what I found is it's a lot of it is because we're not entirely comfortable in our own sense of identity. So bring us back to that identity question mm-hmm. again. And I'm not suggesting that's why you wrote word of sleeves down, but I'm just saying it's, it's, an, it's an interesting part mm-hmm. of us as well. And it, again, it doesn't have to be heroin on the streets and addicted to alcohol. It could be uncomfortable in your own skin mm-hmm. and how you relate to people and how you interact as well. So it's all attached to this sense of identity. What was the shift for you, Dan, to become more comfortable? This is my podcast. I asked the question. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> um, what was the shift? It's a good question. People have asked me sometimes. I have spoken, I spoke to you about it as well. I've spoken on the podcast here, but I, I had a period of struggle in my life. I believe it was because I I um, was a man boy, a uh, boy, a man child, H- had not developed the skills that I needed from my own sense of emotional resilience, which is a nice segue into the next part we're going to touch on here. But uh, I believe that for years I didn't really know who I was didn't think about it I, I wasn't in a really bad place but after the birth of my daughter I really struggled because it was it was obviously this sense of responsibility that I, f- I felt was in complete conflict with my sense of my ability to deal with responsibility and I crumbled completely crumbled under the pressure and I struggled for, for a couple of years in a really 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 bad way um, and that was a catalyst for me to start to want to embrace responsibility myself and through that I then started to meet all these people who were in this world and I had the tools at my fingertips and I had a good support network and I had Jill and my family there. I had everything I needed. I didn't just have one good adult. I had a fucking Mm. army of people there that I could tap into. So I'm blessed, completely blessed. Mm. And whenever people say this, they're like, fair play. I'm like, nothing to do with me. It was all to do with my support network. They facilitated this for me. And now that's why I say to you, like, I'm addicted, addicted to to, to learning more about Mm. this. So that was the catalyst, I feel, um, and what that did for me was made me extremely sensitive to seeing that pain everywhere. I, I can I can feel it everywhere now in the world. As I want to talk about it, I'm like, I can see, I, I can't tell by looking at people, oh, they're really in a bad way. But if I interact with people, I get a really like painful sense of there's, there's stuff here. And it's almost everybody really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel that in myself too. So that, that's kind of my journey and why I'm here sitting with you now is and why we're talking about this stuff all the time is because I I felt horrible like really awful and I know what that is now so I want to be able to not feel like that again but also I want to be able to embrace what it is in my eyes to be me a man Mm. responsible a father a partner a friend Mm. uh, a business owner to have some impact and it's now no longer attached to ego I don't really care what it looks like so that's why on podcasts and stuff now I'm a lot more who I actually am. If you meet me on the street, apart from maybe a bit more fuck, this is pretty much who I am like. If you meet me on a guard page, probably slightly different. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm starting to align a lot of the pieces of my life a lot more now, which makes me much more comfortable sitting here. Like I I, I often say, ask me anything. I'll probably, either I'll tell you I don't want to answer that question or I'll give you my honest opinion. I'll very rarely say something just to say it or be, uh, to, to, to look a certain way. I say rarely because sometimes I still do it. And that they're the things I'm trying to catch. I'm trying to like, oh, fuck, I said, I, I, was, I was afraid to say something there. Sometimes I'll, I'll hear myself say something like, ah, you little bitch, you were just afraid to say that thing you really wanted to say because you think people won't like you anymore. Um, and that's natural and it's normal. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm, that, that's kind of been my journey. I've nothing figured out. Um, but that's, I think that was the catalyst for me. This just shattering of my illusion of me being a competent person. Nah, not a fucking, I was a victim, a victim mindset, the whole thing. And now I'm trying to change that. I'm trying to empower myself. That's kind of 
why mm-hmm. I find it a bit easier now to just speak as I am yeah. on the podcast. Does that make sense? That this is great, great. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I think like it having to get so bad for before it got better, you know, <clears throat> I think that low point of, and it's great to just even reference what a, a man needs at a time like that is that strong social support and yeah. the social network to pull you over the line, but that things had to get so bad for them to get so good, you know. And being our authentic self is really hard. It's really vulnerable. And we're we're at risk of people judging us. And if and if they don't love us or don't like us when we're authentically ourselves, that will bring a lot of shame for us and we'll start self-doubting. Is that is that because we're bad and we're we're trying to figure out who we are by our reactions with, with different people? So I think when you can just become really comfortable and assured of who you are and be okay that not everyone's gonna like you. And I think to have an impact in the world at all. Not everyone's going to like you. That's yeah. just the nature of it. That's o- and that's okay. People aren't always going to want to hear what you've got to say. So, no, powerful story. It's great. Thanks for sharing. Oh, no, thanks Thanks for asking. Thanks for, for, be, for being interested in it. <laughs> and thanks anyone who's still listening. <laughs> for still listening. Um, there was a question I had for you on, you mentioned a comment there about, and it's, it's off topic, but uh, Huberman was talking about what women want can you can you tell me a little bit about that yeah yeah so i'm uh, on the spot here no now, no no because no, no. uh, i feel like we do talk a lot about men on this podcast it's it's not necessarily by design but th- mm. this is what i understand yeah but also like people someone said to me i think did you mention me most of my my listeners might be men i have a 50 50 listenership 50 yeah. percent of my listeners are, are female which okay. is really interesting to me because it is heavily dominated by and i've had people reach out to me before try, trying to attack me for that <laughs> Just don't listen. If, if, if it's not for you, don't listen. I'll, I'll be upset. Um, but like, I, I'm extremely interested. Like I said earlier on, if I can sort myself out as a man, the women in my life will have a better experience of me. My sisters, my mother and my friends, Jill obviously, will have a better experience mm. in their lives because I'm f- taking care of my shit. Mm. It's not their fault. It's my fault. Similarly, I believe that if, if women are able to do their own work, men will have a better experience of women. It's it's symbiotic, like where we complement and contradict each other. I think it's beautiful like that. I don't think we're all the same. And quote me on this, put it up and control that if you want. We're not all the same and I think that's beautiful. All men aren't the same and all women aren't the same, but definitely men and women complement and contradict each other. Um, but I'd be interested in what Huberman said, but I haven't heard that before in terms mm-hmm. of like, what, what do women want, Padraig? So like what stuck out for me is at the time that narrative was very popular of like, you know, treat women like dirt and they'll come back and do whatever, you, you know, like real negative, narcissistic, aggressive attitude towards women. It's like and nagging. Do you remember that book? The, uh, was that like a, a dating expert dude? Oh, do you remember the, the game? The game. Was it Neil Strauss? Yeah. The game. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So he was, he looked at what women are actually seeking for intimate relationships and what they're looking for. And what it was, was to be treated well and to be seeking kindness and to be treated with respect. And it was just, it was, what was strange for me is having to listen to that and go, this is a strange narrative in comparison to everything else that's out there. And it, it, and when you think about it, it's the most, it's common sense. But he was looking at the studies of what are women actually looking for? And it was such a blip in all of the noise of this toxic, I don't want to say toxic, toxic culture, toxic narrative. I don't want to say toxic masculinity. Don't want to say it. Because <laughs> I don't like that word because uh, I think it, it, it puts people in a position where they are fearful to be masculine. And and when I look at masculine men and men that I admire who I think are amazing, they're caring fathers. They're, they're just incredible people that you can rely on, that you can trust and that they turn up. And that's masculinity for me. So, and, and they should be really proud of that. And that's, that's, so the word, I think there's toxic people for sure, but I don't think it should be identified with the trades of, well, men want to portray which is 
caring, looking after, being a protector is being, that's something to be so proud of. Like that's, that's who you want in your circle. That all of those trades, that testosterone driven trades that have protected us for many years. Like when we're in trouble, you, you want that real strong masculine behavior around to, to, to protect you. And then you, like I've worked in, in the care system for years and you, you, we, while we might have been working with hostile behavior and aggression with some of the young people because they had difficulty communicating what they what they needed, you needed both. You needed a very masculine um, approach and a very feminine approach. And children were drawn to both. They would they would seek the females for that caring, that kindness, and sometimes that female perspective came from a man. It didn't always have to come from um, from a woman. And then they sought that real masculine t- to feel safe, to feel protected, to feel that they, they, they could push against it, like fight against it, literally sometimes pushing in r- that rough play. That's all that masculine approach. So we need both in our lives. They both are beautiful. And let's not call shame against them. I just think we've, we've kind of drifted in a space now where we're pushing men away from wanting to be men and be proud of it. Isn't it funny that we need a, an expert neuroscientist to tell us to be polite and kind it's and respectful? Like, it's how, fucking madness. Madness. How have we been drawn to to that and thinking, like, yeah, it's just I'm, I'm, I'm so disconnected from that world, but also my age, like I'm 39 and, and I'm looking at these guys and they're talking about this is how you get women, but there are 20-year-old women who are like, uh, whatever, they're, 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 they're not seeking long-term marriage. Um, they're seeking status, but that's all that's coming up on, on, on Instagram. And, and it's not the content that I'm looking for. It's the content that I delete and not interested in and skip past. And yet it keeps coming back up and back up and back up. So yeah, then amongst it all, thank you, Andrew, for like, you know, highlighting the reality of what women are actually seeking, which is genuine kindness and love and care. Shock horror. Shock horror. Um, can I ask you a random question? Would you wouldn't mind just, you've, you've gradually swayed, <laughs> disappeared out of frame there. Uh, James would be screaming at the, the sorry, screen James. behind there. Um, it's, it's not the narrative that you're looking for, but it is the, um, I don't know. It's something that if you as a man or a woman, but in this case as a man, have not really become comfortable in yourself in terms of what you want out of a relationship, that's what you think you want out of a relationship. You want to be quick, easy, the younger and the sexier, the better. And the message on Instagram is, yeah, you can have what you want. Become a high, a high value man. This thing, I'm like, what a fucking weird phrase because I want to be a high value man. I want to have good values. Mm. <laughs> I just sort of, like, and that sounds really like, oh, Dan's a real wholesome kind of guy. No, I want to, I want to be dependable. I want to be competent. I want to be mm. confident. I want to be, um, all, all, I want to have all these things thought about me mm. that's how who I want to be in the world like when you put your hand out and say mm. that's what I want to be so I have to work towards those things but this this idea of being a high value man because you have a nice suit and you have a fucking Bugatti and all this kind of stuff fair play those things are difficult to obtain but a great quote I heard on Rogan and again I think it was Chris Williamson so sorry but I think Rogan actually said it just because it's difficult to obtain doesn't mean it's valuable or has worth so like a private jet is difficult to obtain most of us will never get it it doesn't make you a good man it, it makes you someone who could attain a jet. Maybe you have a particular skill set in finance. You get a good job or, or something like that. Or you work very hard. But a lot of these things can be false indicators of a well-rounded man. Because traditionally, to get these things, you had to have a lot of different 
aspects to your personality. Mm-hmm. You had to be charismatic and confident mm-hmm. and competent and protective and kind and all this mm-hmm. kind. You don't necessarily anymore. Like you can make a quick book online and you can blow up on Instagram overnight and make millions. And that those millions are a false indicator of what makes a good man for a potential partner. So then you have partners. And again, not original thought here. These, these are narratives that I would listen to. Then you have partners, men, young women usually or men, who look at the millions and or the jet or the Bugatti or whatever it is and say, oh, that, that must be that's the kind of man that mm. I want, someone who has that. But they have the money, but not necessarily all of the other elements that make up a good, kind, dependable, value-driven man. So it's very, very confusing landscape at the moment there. But I, I liked that portrayal of it. Just because it's hard to get doesn't mean it's valuable mm. or worthwhile. Um, and it makes me think a lot about the, time, the, the stuff that drives me. Because sometimes you get caught up in the game. You're running a business. Yeah, yeah, one more money. One nicer car, bigger house. And then I'm like, but is that actually in line with anything that I value? Is mm. that is that what I'm putting my hand? Hi, I'm Dan and I drive a five series. Hi, I'm Dan. Yes, that is a Rolex. <laughs> so like, no, that doesn't appeal to me. And on, on, at the outset, it does. On a really superficial level, I'm like, oh, I want that. For the mm. same reason, because I think it makes me a valuable man. Because I see all these guys. Have, but then when I actually think about it, I'm like, no, I've no problem with nice things. I like cars and bikes and stuff like that. But really what I value is connection and, and family and friends and meaning and all that kind of stuff. And again, that sounds like, all right, all right, Dan, yeah. If someone offered you a Rolex and said you had to give up one of your kids, you probably would. <laughs> <laughs> but when you sit down, when I, when I sit down and think about it, I was like, okay, yeah, really figuring out what I value helps me to navigate this madness. But the problem is that's not how Instagram works, unfortunately. It's not. And that's uh, why you keep getting hit with these fucking... Those people, and I and I agree. I think like people are drawn towards it because, it, as you said, it's hard to obtain or it seems flashy and it looks good. And would someone spending time with their kids at home, um, in in clothes from done stores, look good on Instagram? That's not going to sell for anyone. Yeah. They're, 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 like it's it's not. It's all flashy suits, watches, all of this six packs. It's that's that's their their aim. But it's a push away from connection and. To look at careers, we have to be really mindful, particularly ourselves, entrepreneurs, like pushing our own career. Sometimes we can push away from what's really meaningful and we have to be very careful of a salary. Those that are seeking a salary and they've obtained this fantastic salary, chances are they've worked very hard and are very disconnected from their family, their friends, people that they want to spend time with. When we see the Instagram life of them on a boat with a cigar and whiskey, we don't see the misery behind it. They're portraying the life that they want to portray. The Tates, it's a business. It's a franchise. It's not real. Like, they're not, you know, with that casual walking and they're going, like, they're, they know there's a camera watching them for all those moments. It's not, these aren't just, they, they caught them off a hop, you know, that they're walking into their home cinema or whatever that looks like. So I think there's a real portrayal of this life of value. But when you really deep down, like value is in, in the moments of the meaning every day. And the more you want all of that noise is what I call it, the more disconnected you are from actually yeah. what's really important. 100%. 100%. Mm. I feel like I'm at risk of putting, it was my fault, completely pulling us away from, we, we've still, we're still within the boundaries because okay. we're talking about connection, identity, okay. purpose, all of this was completely relevant. I, I've nearly sidetracked you completely from, <laughs> from the whole OT side of this conversation. And <laughs> um, so I'm going to bring us back. We didn't, we didn't actually leave the realm. We yeah. stayed within the, the lines, but I'm going to bring us back now to um, the final part of this conversation around we we have mentioned 
the struggles. We've mentioned the things that you would experience. We've mentioned a lot of the very, very common maladaptive behaviors mm-hmm. that most of us, in my opinion, are on a spectrum of. Mm-hmm. If it's having two drinks a week or 200 drinks a week, if mm-hmm. it's going on Instagram for 10 minutes or 10 hours, it's mm-hmm. more about the intent, mm-hmm. the identity and the connection and the values, mm-hmm. I think is what we've drilled down to mm-hmm. here. And I- even in, because something that sometimes gets very frustrating, we spoke about it before with medical models, we won't dive too deep on it, but obviously my fiance is on, on OT as well, so I have a bit of an, an insight into this too. It can be frustrating sometimes when everything is ones and boxes and numbers, and we know that there's a deeper root cause to most of this, but we have to play the game and get yeah. the diagnosis and, and refer to the department and whatever it is. Um, so all of this conversation for me is very valuable for maybe people who have been through the system and it hasn't worked, who have people that maybe they could help, who maybe need a little bit of help themselves. It doesn't have to be a diagnosis. I'm not saying that that thing is wrong. There's definitely massive value in medicine and therapy and all this kind of stuff. But as an adjunct, as, a, as another part of mm-hmm. that puzzle, which it is understanding identity, your own values, giving yourself space and time to, to sit and think about this stuff, looking for that one good adult, maybe being aware of the impact you have on other people. So that's the conversation we've had. But as w- on top of that, some of the more practical things maybe that we can do as people, men, women, we're talking about adults, I suppose, now mm-hmm. in, in this conversation. And um, in your experience and the work that you've done, things that you found have worked, that you like, that you think have massive value, uh, let's have a little have a little conversation okay. around that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I'm going to touch on, and I think it's, just, it's a really good diagram for people to go and have a look at, and it's the PERMA-V model. It's a positive psychology model. It's not related to occupational therapy, but it links in very well with occupational therapy. So it's a great way of looking at your life and seeing are you living a meaningful life. So the PERMA-V stands for do we have positive emotions in our life? The E is for engagement. Are we engaging in the world in a positive way? Are we doing something that feels good for us? Um, the OR would be for relationships. How are our relationships? The M would be for, are we living a meaningful life? Are we doing something that we feel is meaningful to us? And then we have the the A then the um, would be, are we accomplishing things in life? Are we winning? Are we doing things? Are we heading the right direction? And the V, which is so important, is looking at vitality. So without that, we have nothing. So vitality would look at sleep, nutrition, um, exercise, all things that we can function our body with. So I think it's really good to have a little look at that and it will bring to light a lot of areas that you could improve in your life straight away going, you know what, I'm actually, my emotions aren't really good. What am I doing first? And so when somebody comes into the clinic, the first thing that I would ask is the basics, their vitality, what's going on for them. Are you eating? Are you sleeping? Are you moving your body? We, it, it, It's not very fancy and it seems very uh, like simple, but it, the, the positive effects of a good night's sleep, moving your body, which I just, I cannot advocate enough. We have little pharmacies working inside our body that will release all the chemicals that we need to manage our mood if we put our muscles under stress. We need to do it. There isn't, it sh- it's a non-negotiable. It's, if you have depression, anxiety, ADHD, it is 100% a non- non-negotiable for you because you really, really need to do it. Some people can cope and manage life without moving to uh, a, a, an extensive way. But if you have any of these going on for you, the number one thing I'd say, you, are you moving? Are you moving at all? If you're stagnant in your room and you're not leaving, I can tell you that's going to have a detrimental effect. So I look at that. I look at do you have any meaning in your life, as in what are you doing for yourself? What looks good for you? Are you moving in the right direction? Are you winning in life? Um, and look at mindset as well. Look, we can touch on growth mindset. We can touch on um, 
forgiveness if there is a lot of anger in them. We talk a lot about like what's going on for you emotionally if you're angry at the world or if you have an identity that you are not happy with, how do we shift that? So I think they're kind of some of the things that I would touch on um, with the adults that are coming through the door, not necessarily young people. A lot of them are just lost at the moment. Yeah. You speak about that model from a therapist's point of view. Yeah. For me, listening to you, that's just something we should all basically ask ourselves every day or every week. Like we, we could we could run through that very quickly in our own head and sit down. Am I doing these things? How was this week for me? How am I feeling? What's my mindset? Am I sleeping? Am I eating? Like a self a self assessment, really. I have a pinned on my desk, so in the morning oh, I have a look. Good. I'm like, am I doing it? And I, I would look at aspects of my own life that I'm not happy with, whether that be, am I getting enough emotional connection? And if I'm not, I'm journaling why and what's stopping me. And I'm, then I'll have a checklist to say, have I ticked the boxes that are going to help me have a meaningful life? But the perma V, you can look at it and go you know what, this part of my life isn't good. And it's not going to be perfect. Life is hard and you'll miss some of the components, but it's a really good brief check-in to kind of go, you know what, this could be better. Or, oh, you know why I, I'm not great at, for the last two or three weeks. I know why there's nothing going on in this department. So like, yeah, I think it's... it's I think an important note for me personally to add there is a bit of self-compassion as well. So even if you're not doing, you're probably not, do, we're not designed to be doing perfect in all these areas all at the same time. And if you're not, not taking that as a sign that you're doing something wrong, just seeing it as an area you need to keep an eye on or potentially something you can add a little strategy in. Am I not yeah. moving? Maybe I can do a five minute walk or 10 minute walk. It yeah. doesn't need to be, because I'm, I'm a demon for this. Like I, it was even yesterday, I was in the gym yesterday and um, the phase of the, my football season at the moment, I tend not to do a lot of strength work because we're training so often, I want to keep the body fresh and I was in the gym and I wasn't hitting the numbers I wanted mm. to, but I was like, man, give yourself a fucking, because I, I spent 20 minutes going, oh, this is so shit mm. and you're going to take so long to get back to and I'm comparing myself to other people. I have a lot of powerlifters come in here as clients. <laughs> I'm like, I'm nowhere near, what, nowhere even in the same realm, but I'm like, why can't I be like those guys? And just like drilling myself. And then eventually I was, I was at the point, I was like, hold on a second. Let's have a little look at what you're doing. When you're doing all these different things, you're trying to be there for your family, trying to run your business, trying yeah. to play championship. But of course, this is not going to be that. And also, why does it need to be there? So I, I'm. that's a lesson I've learned the hard way over years, that really negative self-talk. I've just tried to give myself, a, I mean, it's not even positive now, it's just a bit of a break. Yeah. So give yourself a bit of a break on that stuff. Mm. So even if you're not, if you're doing your Parma V and you're not there, there is no there. Just be moving in the right direction at your yeah. own pace. And, and and I think having the best, like I, I would reference this, like the best therapists, the best clinicians, the best, we're, we're all imperfect. We're all just trying to, that's the evidence. That's what will improve. But then we're human beings and we're existing. Do we get it all right all the time? Absolutely not. The best of the best out there do not. They don't. They're just, we're all trying to figure it out. We're all trying to survive. We're all trying to do our best. And just, and I, I have the, some clinicians that are amazing and there would be specialists in the areas for working on managing sleep with kids, managing, and they're like, my own at home at the moment is a bloody disaster because they're human beings. Yeah. And and we know the research and we know if you apply it in this way that it, improvements will come. And then we're people. Yeah. And we don't, we, we're not clinicians in our own lives we're not per we're just we're not professionals in our own lives we're just a person so we're just we're just trying to get through but it is a good reference point and I am hard on myself probably too hard on myself sometimes to ensure that I'm I suppose living a life that's true to me but also being a positive advocate for mental health as well that I'm not out speaking about this is what you should do and not doing it so I'm very conscious of my own decisions to implement these strategies but do I get things right 
do I have a cheeky chocolate bar here and there? Absolutely. Do I do things that one day I'm like, I'm not going for a run today. And like those things arise. I'm no David Goggins, nor do I ever want to be. And I think like the likes of David Goggins or even hearing about the power lifter. I love dipping into things and having a passion about it. But it ne- it'll never fully engross me. And for sure, and I'm looking at guys in their bench pressing or you say that you're going to the gym. Some of the questions that people ask me, what's your bench or what's your deadlift? I'm like, nothing. I actually don't do either of those, you know, <laughs> whatever the machine is on. And I feel that day because um, it isn't part of my identity to be the best at that. Yes. It's just to feel good. That is part of my identity. So I push these things to the limit that feels good to me um, and don't latch onto these concepts that it defines you as a man if you can deadlift certain or you or you can bench press like uh, when I when I'm asked that question like I'm like <laughs> I haven't a clue which is actually a great it's a, it's a much deeper point and <clears> maybe <throat> you probably do know you're making this point because uh, oftentimes if we struggle with our identity we want it to be something else so we could very quickly like filter it into something else that seems healthy at the outset but could become quite obsessive absolutely like I need to have the biggest bench in the gym and I'm going to achieve that at all costs and that word that phrase at all costs genuinely there's mm. costs to that and you often find the people who and like on the topic actually because these guys would openly say it some of, the, some of the guys who come in here are incredible athletes some of these guys hold like national and international records in strength events and stuff like that and I speak to them regularly and one of my clients Ian he, he's really good at getting down to the core of this and he talks about this like your identity is completely caught up with being the strongest squatter in the room. Are you aware of that? They're like, yeah. Are there other parts of your life that are suffering as a result? Yeah. Relationships and all this kind of stuff. But this this is the thing. And part of me is like, it's like like the Goggins thing. Part of me is in absolute admiration of somebody who can do, I, could, I don't think I could do that unless I sacrificed, even if I sacrificed everything else in my life, I don't think I could do that. So it's massive admiration. Mm but I don't want to do it because it would require me sacrificing all the things I actually value in my life as well. Yeah. Um, so that that's, it, it's a great point to make there that yes, getting into movement and healthy things is is important. But again, it's the story and narrative you create for yourself around that, which is actually even more important. The Absolutely. same as with the, drug and the, the drugs and the drink. Yeah. If you become obsessive about eating healthy, obsessive about running, obsessive about lifting, obsessive, obsessive about whatever it is, it's still obsessive. It's still not, re- it's still another masking of what Such you feel if, are, your, are your insufficiencies and that's something yeah. I've seen o- over a long time I think about it a lot with my football career as well because I'm, I'm coming towards the latter the twilight years of, of my, my senior football career and it's been a huge part of my life for the, the majority I have played football in my life longer than I haven't played football mm. i played football since I was 7 or 8 years old and I am 35 years old wow. now and it's a huge part of who I am, what I do, where I get my sense of belonging, connection, mm. identity, purpose. You get a lot of validation. And I'm like, that's going to go away soon. What am I going to do? What are you going to do? I have family. I have children. I have business. I have friends. And I'm really starting to try and focus or, or focus the same uh, energy that I apply to my football in those areas. Like the, those areas are much more important than football, but also to, li- like you were saying, with getting the, the positive feedback from the healthy food as opposed to the drink. It's the story mm-hmm. I tell myself around is this is where I get my validation. I go in and my son gives me a hug. Gee, like, I, and I know you felt that. I feel it every single time I get that hug. I'm like, whoa, this is bigger than anybody saying great shot mm-hmm. or that was some shoulder or whatever whatever the hell they would say in the football pitch I'm like okay this is this is part of my this is a really good place to put some of that not all of it 
I can't yeah. be completely consumed and obsessed with just being the best father because then my relationship would suffer. Absolutely. Or would, you don't like, get that hug that day. What does that mean to I'm you? I'm crushed because I don't yeah. get the hug. Or yeah. eventually my kids grow up and move away. Like, what the fuck Absolutely. am I going to do then? I collapse. So it's it's be- I'm becoming aware of that now. And football mm. has been a catalyst for me for that. Yeah. Um, but I just think it's a nice point to make there as well. Is yes, there's maladaptive and unhealthy behaviours. But again, they in some areas they could be healthy having mm. a drink as a social lubricant if you're very aware and uh, that could be fine yeah. I'm not advocating but it could be yeah. fine but also it could be very unhealthy to become completely consumed and mm. obsessed by sports um, if, if you're wrapped your identity in it so yeah man it's it, all about those stories it is and and not to have that like uh, I think it's good to have goals and achieve and to push and to grow and to and to build but like for our own identity in a positive way but if we have consumed everything into one component of our life there's a there's a great book um, Peter Atea Atea I think his name is he's Peter Atea, yeah, Atea. Yeah, yeah. he speaks about it <clears throat> I think it's Road to Character and it speaks about is your life your CV or is it your eulogy? So are people going to speak about all the things that you've accomplished in your life or the type of man that you are? Yes. What are you swaying towards? So we can latch into it and I have to mind myself and my identity of my job because it is really important to me. <clears throat> and that I don't, that I make sure that the eulogy holds strength in that as well. What I want to accomplish things in a professional capacity I want to be seen as the dad, the 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 partner, the the friend, the son, all of those things. And those characteristics come to the forefront as well. I don't want to get lost in this because if that's all you have and then you don't have it, where are you? you yeah. know. So I think like put your energy into positive things moving forward. Have more than one and it's okay. And that it's the same as that trauma identity of you're a survivor or you're... You're a victim and this is all you are. You're one thing. None of us are one thing. We have a, f- a variety of different avenues of variety of different roles that we have to play as a friend, as a brother, as a son, as a as a partner, as a dad. All of these, these are actually our functioning roles. And then we have our employer. We might be an employee or an employer. You know, we have colleagues. We have all of these. We have loads of roles, you know, so... Be the best you can at them. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, you're yeah. not you're not just that. You're not just one thing. 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I'm going to wrap this up now, but there's actually a word that you've pretty much just answered there. We, did, we didn't touch on it specifically, but this idea of emotional resilience. Mm. For me, what you just described there is a form of emotional resilience. You're not overly extended in any of these areas. You have a good sense of self. You have a good grounding. You are really, really um, not necessarily completely formed in your identity but you're solid in the kind of identity that you want to have and the type of person you want to be and the values that you hold and if you have foundations in all those areas you are going to be more emotionally resilient because you're going to be less reactive you're going to be less uh, triggered mm-hmm. you, This your trauma which we all have is going to have less of a hold over you it's going to be less of you it's going to be something that happened in your life it's not what you are. So all of that for me means you're, you're going to have more resilience in general, physical and emotional resilience based on everything that you've described today. If you can start to put some of those bits together, you're working on that emotional resilience. Mm-hmm. So would that be a fair assessment of it? I would agree, yeah. And emotional resilience is, we spoke about what we would, we would want from our own children and that level of emotional resilience that they can have the capacity to survive with the world. Not to, only do we want it from children, but we want it from adults and confidence to lean into these decisions and so confidence that you're going to survive if you are rejected or that you can lean in and go I'm going to be okay and that will be stemmed from having emotional resilience having compassion for yourself and understanding but confidence and emotional resilience and they will come the strongest they'll be the most heightened when we're our authentic self and we know who we are and we deliver that to the world that's where they'll be 
they'll be the the strongest. Yeah, yeah. Jill mentioned to me. This is funny. Jill mentioned to me last night when you were coming on. As she did last time, she gave me some nice food for thought and some some concepts to think about. And she mentioned a concept in OT that she had learned about. Um, and I re- I forgot it. I went to a- I was going to ask her about it this morning, and we had a fucking stupid <laughs> argument because I left clothes I folded on the table. She's like, "Fuck, I'm not going to ask her now. I'll just go." But now I've forgotten it. But the, I know that it was like a three word phrase. I'm going to put it in the spot here now. But it was do- doing was a part of it. Was it being D- doing be- being becoming or doing becoming and yeah doing it, yeah. It was I, this concept. Yeah, and, yeah. And what she said to me, the most powerful for that for her was doing the doing doing the and, being belonging. That, like I, I am on the spot yeah yeah, so, yeah. yeah put you completely put you on the spot but it leans into <laughs> most of what you said today was about the, mm. d- the doing the moving the action the yeah. the leaning into that obviously being and belonging are when I think about being and belonging they're more outcomes and senses of mm. feeling do I am I being am I present yeah. am I but the doing is something that anybody listening now it's a little less abstract you mm. can you can do you can move you can pick that thing that maybe as you said is the lowest barrier to entry that you like that you enjoy and you can start to do it and by doing it you'll get some more of that positive feedback and then by getting the feedback you can be a bit more comfortable and be and then you get that sense of belonging and um, so I, I really like that and to not always wait until you're motivated enough to do it is, is a really key component like we can change our emotional state by moving our body into a state of doing like so if we're like feeling I can't do this I can't do this and it's a very hard line they say um, movement can create motivation but so it's a very hard thing to say to somebody who's demotivated and doesn't want to do it but if they can just start doing and you will start feeling better you just need to move so it's it's hard but I think yeah we can change our emotional state by changing our physical state it's really important Patrick, another powerful, powerful yeah, conversation yeah, yeah. that I absolutely butchered yeah. by taking me off into the weeds in several areas there. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for your time. Um, as I asked last time, if, if people want to reach out, have a conversation, if they want to engage with you in some way, is that allowed? Is that okay? Absolutely. You can find me on Instagram, The OT Coach, and my um, website is www.theotcoach.ie. And also my Gmail account is podrig.theotcoach at gmail.com. Beautiful, beautiful. So, yeah. Anything coming up that we should be aware of? Anything happening in the life of Podrick? Nothing. Busyness, but all positive stuff. Work is flying it, and yeah, but all all good stuff. Nothing. And Podrick is going to be much more active on social media, even mm. even though it's toxic. He's going to be much more active <laughs> to share this wonderful value with the Absolutely. world. So we we, we got a lot more from you. But um, I, I, you know, I'm going to say this. I'm going to have to have you on again because we touched off maybe 25 percent of the stuff that we wanted <laughs> yeah. to touch off there. Yeah. But I think it was a, it was a nice conversation there. We're over the two hour mark anyway. If I can read all this right. clock properly, I think we are over the two hour mark. Um, but thank you once again for making the drive up. Really, really enjoyed it as same, always. Same. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in the next one. Excellent. Thanks, Dan. Thanks so much. Folks, thank you so much once again for listening to that episode. And thank you, Mr. Padraig Danaher, for taking the time out to come and have a conversation with me. So much value and so many thoughts that I've got to sit with now after speaking to Padraig. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, if you find it valuable, please don't be afraid to share it on to someone else that you think might find value in the things that we discussed in the stuff that Podrick brought to the podcast today. Um, I often get people sending me podcasts that change the way I think about certain topics, that change the way I think about my life. Um, And I do get the feedback from people that when someone sends them a particularly insightful episode like this, that it does kind of not necessarily change the direction of their life, but have some sort of impact on how they live. So that's what we're all about here at Primal. So don't be afraid to send it on if you have someone you think might get value from this episode. And as always, if you're enjoying it, please do leave us a rating, leave us a review, like or subscribe on whatever platform you're on. And I will see you in the next episode. <laughs>